0: All right. Welcome to The Basin Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. And today we have with us a guest, a special guest. The specialist of all
1: guests. (laughs) You are far too kind, Inyash. (laughs) I am Kyle Moore. I am the fellow in charge of editing this podcast. Yes. The poor fellow. I know. (laughs) It is is my duty to listen to Inyash's and Steven's voices uh, loop on repeat inside my head. (laughs) There are quite a few uh, interesting dreams I have. There are a few tortures that I can think of that would be worse um yes perhaps <laughs> perhaps we can include that torture in our utilitarian discussion today <laughs> is it better to have kaya listen to indiansha's voice in endless loop for a thousand years or cause a single uh a negative utilon to happen to every life form that will ever exist or <laughs> everybody listen
0: to it once the jury is still oh, out
1: oh <laughs> oh, that's oh
2: Stephen, yeah. too cruel <laughs> um. Um so the reason we have Kyle on is actually Stephen did you want to take it because you said it very much better than I could have.
0: Um well we're going to talk about a handful of things but I thought one thing that would be fun to talk about was that most people I think who li- are listening to the show right now went to go find it on purpose and are listening to it and uh, Kyle just was asked to edit before he really knew what the topics were and so he's sort of like a captive audience for every episode and I was curious to get his take on somebody who didn't seek out this kind of material what your response was to it are we all insane
1: <laughs> are are we in, in jury still out <laughs> <laughs> I just a, a very short version of the story. Uh, uh, we have a mutual friend and former host Katrina Stanton, and she just happened to mention this podcast offhandedly. And at the time, I was very much looking for an opportunity to edit podcasts because I love listening to podcasts. You know, This American Life, Radio Lab, the usual fun things. And I had no idea what rationality was. I had no idea what any of the concepts that you guys talk about quite uh, frequently. So it was all new to me, and I had met you guys very, very briefly and kind of showed you some recording stuff, and I didn't really know what to think of it or what it would be. And then I started listening to what you guys had to say uh, as the captive audience, uh, as Stephen put it, and I was really quite fascinated with it, mostly because it felt uh, like a natural way of thinking that I already was sort of in that groove of it, and it seemed to... Oh, I don't know how to phrase this properly. More like it was a natural, mm, I already said natural way of thinking. It 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 felt very I felt very at home with the concepts. And while I don't necessarily agree with every conclusion that you guys have made or your, that your guests have made, I have respected how they got there, and I really respect how people can discuss these really interesting or difficult issues, and it's really more about getting to what is more right or less wrong as you would say. And that is a feature in today's modern discourse that is just completely absent and it's very upsetting to me
2: yeah that's that's a very good way of putting it i think most people who came upon this i mean i certainly had the same experience where it was like this is already how my brain works it's just that i don't generally meet people whose brain also works that way i mean you know like a few people in high school maybe that i hung out with a lot but then having, discovering that there's this whole actual, like, movement and community and all these writings by someone who's really good at writing about it and putting what I am feeling into words on a page was, like, it was fantastic. And that's, that's, is that, was that your experience too,
0: Stephen? Um, yeah, mostly. I think I found out about this kind of stuff from, I'm trying to think, historically, I found uh Brian Dunning's podcast, Skeptoid, when I was... I think shortly after it started, so almost 10 years, maybe 10-ish years ago. Wow. Um, and then at some point, I found Julia Galef's Rationally Speaking podcast, which I really enjoyed. And then at the end of each of those episodes, they will do like their Rationally Speaking pick, which is like their favorite like paper or book or whatever is tickling their rationally fancy that week. And Julia plugged uh, Methods of Rationality. Uh-huh. And I remember I was driving at the time, and I put it in my phone to look at later. And months later, I got around to looking at it, and I was like, oh, this is awesome. And at the beginning of the book, Ellie Eiser says, if you want to learn everything Harry knows and more, go to lesswrong.com. And so that's that was I think I was a good case example of what he wrote that to do bring people on board in a uh, through through fun fiction yeah um, so that was my coming into it awesome I've heard something like a quarter of the
2: rationalist community now has come directly from reading Methods of Rationality so holy shit good
1: job there <laughs> that worked out very well Are we referring to Harry Potter and the mes- methods of Rationality yes okay I, I don't I... I don't know of any other Methods of Rationality. I have not I is, this is a podcast,
2: right? Uh it is a fan fiction uh, that was written and I mean I did make a podcast of it as well. So right, there's an audio right. version too. But yeah, the which I guess I guess there is now just a Methods of Rationality podcast cuz I kind of rebranded it after Harry Potter and the Methods was done and now I you know did Metropolitan Man and I'm going to be doing another thing soon hopefully once I, my work life stable is out here. Um but yeah, yeah. Uh so so it's worked for you?
1: Uh, yes, I would say that it's worked for me. And it's, of course, taken quite a bit of time for me to integrate my head into all of the different concepts that you guys bring up, utilitarianism being one of them. And that would be a great example of something that I always kind of thought seemed right, but it was like I didn't have a word for it. Yeah, And then there are all of these rationalist words for things that I'm like, oh, that's a word for a way of thinking that I kind of already had in some way. And here is a a definition of it and an exploration of the concept. How cool is that? Yeah, I had no idea any of this stuff was out there.
2: That's awesome. So did you not know like people in your life in general that were similar sort of mindset?
1: I have, but not in a capacity to where they had, again, the same words. Mm-hmm. You, again, I'm going to keep using utilitarianism because I don't again, I, I'm still pretty new to all of this. Right. So I've, certainly I would have intellectual friends in college and things like that. And they were very much intellectual discussion type people they weren't the yelly angry shouty i'm right you're wrong you suck thing because nobody well some people do enjoy that unfortunately <laughs> especially these days uh-huh. but yes i did i did have people like that and and they having those discussions with those friends really helped train my mind because at the end of the day i realized i was much more interested in knowing what the right answer was instead of wanting to be right yeah being right's nice but I would rather there be a general improvement of knowledge or truth or whatever as opposed to I'm the guy who's right because that's dumb and doesn't help anyone.
2: Yeah, really a perfect encapsulation of kind of what we're trying to go for, right?
1: Yeah, I'll say. Um, I was going to say, speaking of some
0: of the vocabulary, is there any like, do you find that the uh, conversations are like too jargon heavy or do we do a good job kind of distilling the jargon um, or explaining
1: it? Mostly, yes. And I I think that's, where kind of a rationality one-on-one episode would be super handy for folks like me. I have osmosed some of the jargon, or I've researched it myself. Uh, and of course, I remember the first couple episodes, there were a few concepts and words that I just, I had no idea what you guys were going on about, no. um, especially in regards to AI-related things. Rational r- Rationality so far seems to think about things in very much a computery-type standpoint. Um you know, the term meme comes up a lot in a, which I, which at first thought, what are we doing talking about cats? And then I realized <laughs> that you were thinking of it from a programming perspective and I'm not a programmer at all. I have zero desire or ability or interest in, in, in doing that. So, and I think, uh, your, your cryonics friend from, uh, the other week, you know, talked the brain, talked about the brain a lot like it was a computer, like you could program it in certain ways. My understanding of the brain is that it doesn't work that way at all. It works in ways that we cannot fathom, and it oh. is not like a computer where you can just throw in a chip and make it do stuff. Oh, well, certainly isn't right now, no. The hope is that maybe someday
2: we'll be able to figure out how to emulate a brain in, mm-hmm. in a computer mm-hmm. process, but yeah, no, you certainly can't throw in a chip and do anything right now. No,
1: no, of, of course, but I, I think... My understanding of it, and of course, what the hell do I know, is that it, it is totally beyond our fathoming in terms of how it actually works. It, it is not, it, I don't think it can be reduced to ones and zeros. Oh, certainly not. Because, you know, the soul and stuff. Oh, yeah. well. <laughs> that, now that, you're just trolling. Yeah. Uh, oh, dear. Oh, dear. You caught me. Stupid souls. <laughs> Real quick pause. I actually just realized a great way for me to um, think of some things that we have... Uh, that I've been interested in is, I've sent you emails on occasion. Yes. Where I've said, Inuyash, what is this? Yeah. yeah, yeah. How, could I quickly look on my phone and see some of those things? It, would, Go would, for that, it. would that interest you to talk about at yeah, all? Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Right. I thought that
0: would be a good idea. I was going to bring that up. Yeah, Because you, you, you sent some of them, I think, to Inuyash and some to the Bayesian the conspiracy yeah. accounts. So,
2: Like the things that you either don't understand or disagree yes. with are things that we are quite interested in. Yes. All right. I do, uh, just before we came up here downstairs, Steve uh, mentioned that I was steel manning a position. And uh, you asked me what steel manning was. And so we explained that it's basically the opposite of straw manning, where you take your opponent's argument and you try to make it better instead of making it worse um, so, that, so that you're fighting against an actual opponent. Um, but this brings to me uh, the question of how often we should repeat things. Because I know in one of our very early episodes, we had uh, explained steel manning and defined it and given some examples. But that's been like o- over two years ago now, I think. Yeah, coming up on
0: two years, I think. Okay, so yeah, uh, it's
2: been about two years, and obviously we can't expect people to go back and listen to, what is it, like f- almost 50 episodes now? at about an hour and a half each, 75 hours of audio to get caught up, so... I wouldn't wish that on anybody. No. <laughs> <laughs>
0: so how, how often do, should we repeat these sorts of things? Um, I've, I think about that once in a while, because I listen to a handful of other podcasts that are adjacent to this sort of thing, and they do a good job about Covering much of the new vocabulary, but you can't do that every time to everything, right? Right, because then it just gets tedious. So I don't know. I think a lot of these, like steel manning, is a quick Google. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so if they're curious what that is, or if they're if we do a good job, you know, discussing it it'll become clear through the conversation what what happened. Right, right. And they'll be like, oh, that's probably what they meant when they meant steel manning. Yeah. But yeah, if you're coming in, into this, you know, without a history of knowing about like logical fallacies and then, you know, having a base and straw manning and then knowing, oh, steel manning is the opposite. Hmm. I think steel manning, you can usually get both from
2: context and from association with the word straw man. Uh, things like referring to
0: Moloch is much more difficult. Those we do a good job about, I think. Yeah, Moloch to, you, you
1: yeah. did a good job with. Oh, fantastic.
0: But... Yeah, I think it's it's tough in case by case. Well, I think it's
1: an iterative process. We'll get feedback and try and do better
0: every time.
2: You have a thing?
1: Uh, yeah, cu- a couple things. Cool. One thing um, I said in regards to which episode, I can't tell. The last third of this episode is focused on norms. When pressed to name an example of a norm, the guest said something about how people would get into these logic loops that led them to undesirable undesirable conclusions i.e a suicide bomber i feel like there are a few implied concepts related to this that were not brought up most likely because most of your listeners have already understand these concepts mind elaborating further for my benefit your response was something about reason as mimetic immune disorder wherein phil gets argues that cultural cultures develop traditions mimetic immune, immunity that neuters the harmful crazy aspects of their foundational documents i.e religious texts People who are then taught to rigorously apply reason and follow arguments unflinchingly to their conclusion uh, apply that background to their cultural beliefs. They lose the cultural traditions that protected them, which is why most terrorists have studied at Western universities. That was an interesting one. Uh, there was another thing about—this um, I, 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 this is all back in April, so God, my brain is totally gone from there. I I had It was in regarding to— I, I think because one thing that I'm very interested in is how do we encourage and apply rational – how do we encourage rationality in other people? Yeah. Because it, it's great to sit around in our little nerd rooms and be nerds and talk about cryonics, but that doesn't really help Joe Schmo. I've been to a lot of Trump country lately, and that that, that is not a concept. None of this is a concept at all. And I guess – and I don't want to talk about politics here because I know you guys avoid that. But one thing that I thought was very interesting is how – People seem to prefer feeling good than being right Mm -hmm. or than than improving themselves. Mm -hmm. And that's kind of been a huge feature in our politics recently where people would rather feel good about something, even though that that thing is not doing them good and is, in fact, bad for them. Quick clarifier that I don't think that we don't try to
0: avoid politics so much as this isn't like a political podcast. Sure. Um, So like, but by all means, I'm not going to shut down a guest if we want to go there. I'm, (laughs) I'm always I'm always looking for an excuse to talk about it. But i know that i mean especially when i'm listening to stuff going around it's it's hard to uh the wound's still pretty fresh so like it's it's not like i can't make it funny yet um <laughs> but there's there's a lot to listen to out there whenever you listen to really any podcast someone's talking about it but that said as long as it's not every show i'm completely fine talking about it once in a while so mm-hmm.
2: i think in my opinion you can't talk someone into valuing this sort of mindset and this sort of thinking it's uh it's not like you're going to sit them down and tell them about the benefits of rationality and they're going to be like, oh, you're right. I should totally do that. Uh, it's the same. I was raised to Jehovah's Witness. It's the same thing um, that Jehovah's Witnesses often tried to do and really failed at was talking people out of their religious beliefs. You just can't do it. People don't give a fuck. They have their own religion, and you're not going to show them, look, but in the Bible, this and this says that your soul is actually this and that. So come to our religion, because it knows the Bible more better than yours. Which which is a thing they try to do a lot. Um, they never said this, but from experience, talking to people who did convert, and um, talking to other Jehovah's Witnesses who did manage to convert people from going to door to door, the way they did it was... <laughs> I don't think this was ever the intention of the program. They were just trying to like tell people about their better system. Uh, But since they're constantly knocking on doors and always telling everyone about it, they maximize how many people they meet in a week. And every now and then some small percentage of those people are going through some sort of major emotional crisis. Their mom just died and they're like, God, send me a sign. Or they are in the deepest pits of a depression and they're thinking about killing themselves. And they just need some sort of group to come and tell them, you are a worthwhile human being and you are valued. And because the Jehovah's Witnesses and Mormons too are constantly knocking on doors, they find people who are in these extremely emotional and vulnerable states. And then they, in my opinion, swoop in and be like, ha ha, now we have you because we can offer you this emotional support and release. And all we want is the rest of your life supporting the church. And again, it wasn't intended this way. It was intended, you know, as a way to share the the good news, quote unquote. But what it really ends up being is preying on the people who are weak because you managed to find the people who
1: are in those moments of crisis. Couldn't you then say that rationality could, in theory, have the same problem by which groups of rationalists could go door to door, knocking on people's doors, and hoping to find an emotionally vulnerable person, and yes, and, and tell is, them how to not be emotional and improve themselves. And that
2: is one of the reasons I don't think we should do that. <laughs> what I think we actually should do, um, or what, because uh, you can't talk someone out of their their beliefs just by talking to them, and you don't want to be the predator swooping in on people in their moment of emotional weakness. What I advocate is being, um at least somewhat open about how you are and being excited about it and telling people, you know, like, yeah, I'm doing this great thing. And, Dude, here's, here's this awesome thing I'm doing with my community, and oh, did you know this and that? Like, being excited about your beliefs and just sharing them every now and then. Not, not sharing them, sharing them, but... Not
0: being afraid to talk about them.
2: Not being afraid to talk about them, yeah. Um, just being enthusiastic and excited, and that can often draw people. They're like, at least I found, I am really getting fucking sick and tired of the culture wars. And I just want to opt out and be around other people who are excited about life and are excited about cool new technologies and where the human race is going in the future. And, hey, let's talk about this cool thing that might happen when we can augment our brains with cybernetics or replace our limbs with, you know, cool new better limbs,
0: which, I mean, obviously long time coming. But but (laughs) I mean, ballpark, I met a guy, I don't know, last year. Who had a also my uncle has the the old version. It's a hook that he flexes his shoulder to open it and it closes the rubber bands. Mm-hmm. Um, I met a guy at the car dealership, what, in April? And he had one that he could control open and close mm-hmm. and it popped off and I think he said I still don't know how he sent impulses to it. It must have been through his, you know, brain, but I think it he mentioned something about Bluetoothing to his phone or something like that. Um but I mean that seemed cooler than ours already yeah sen- as but... soon as they can take a punch like it's already better than ours right i mean depends on what you want to use it for if you're
2: optimizing for being a killing machine sure but i would want my hand to be able to feel a booby still
1: <laughs> <laughs> Fair. and, and um, I,
2: I couldn't do that with my robot hand
0: so that's true but if you, if you add back in uh, touch perception for like some of the attachments because he could just pop, he popped it off and handed it to me yeah well not just handed it to me huh? oh, um, but I think it'd be cool if he could pop it off and pop on like a power drill so he's working on his car yeah, working on his yeah. house and like a you know that'd yeah. be fucking but not, awesome but not
2: just touch perception on my part I want the person who I'm touching to like that too
0: right yeah I guess okay so you're making this harder and harder
2: right, <laughs> well <all right. laughs> I, I want it to be literally better than the arm I have right now well
1: he's talking about boobies so something's getting harder uh-huh.
2: oh <laughs> So that 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 is a high bar to clear. There is nothing right now that can clear better than my current
1: arm. Uh, there you go. Yeah, there you go. Uh, I I really liked where we were going with the what shall we call it evangelizing rationality discourse because I I think that's ultimately what we are talking about or talking about doing or not doing. Mm-hmm. Because I, I, I feel like there is a, an a interest and benefit in spreading these ideas, and they don't spread themselves. Yeah.
2: The place I get it most is when, as we were talking downstairs, is when I meet up with deathist ideas. That is the time I most often push back and be like, no, the future can be so much better than infinite death for everyone.
1: All right. So that is a concept I do not know. Okay. So deathism, deathist? Really quick before we jump into that, I wanted to say that um,
0: as far as, I guess, my version of proselytizing, I've got two quick thoughts. One... That our message is a harder sale. So even if we found people in you know moment of crisis, unless all we were preaching was like transhumanism or something, then you could get people. You know, you could save desperate people or whatever. But for the most part, our message, you know, in the f- opening paragraph, is pretty bleak. It's like, hey, so there's no magic. There's no easy cures. There's no guidance from an you know from a higher power. Uh, there's no afterlife. Um, so you you come to somebody who's already feeling kind of down and tell them, hey, you know all the shit you're holding out up, holding out hope for basically isn't true until <laughs> you get to paragraph two and you start talking transhumanism stuff. But you know, I guess my my version of proselytizing this sort of thing is recording this and putting it out to people who are interested rather than just doing this downstairs over coffee. So
2: and you also, I mean he that's more the atheist side of things and yes atheism and rationality go very much hand in hand as in my opinion they should but uh there are rationalist catholics there's rationalist uh, orthodox jews there's rationalist mormons there's you can be um a spiritual religious person and believe in god and still be a rationalist if you do the right mental tweaks which i found fascinating the mental tweaks yes and i want to write like a short story or maybe a novel based on those no- mental tweaks at some point because they were so fucking cool
1: that is very cool yeah. i th- i think rationality can offer things to people who might still be dependent on the concept of, of an afterlife or some sort of of comfort so one thing we've talked that's been talked about a lot in the podcast is is simulations are we living in a simulation how this that and the other thing that makes me livid. Oh, I that's a I, I hate that idea. Okay, one because there's no way to prove or disprove it. In the same way, there's no way to prove or disprove that there is a god. So what's the conceptual difference? Hmm, can't think of one. <laughs> the uh, other thing is is that it completely discounts whatever good or bad feelings we might be feeling or experiencing in our present. It also implies that, well, if this is a simulation, that means Inuyash isn't real. Right. That means that Steven isn't real, or he's a little chip in a in a mainframe somewhere, or something. Does that something. make him less real, though? Um, that is that is a rabbit hole that I'm going to avoid <laughs> for now. <laughs> throw,
0: throw a real out of there, and you could just say, does that make this interaction matter less, or something,
1: right? And I would I, that's what I disagree with. Just because, e- let's say we are in some, we, let's say we're in the matrix, or whatever, That doesn't make what I'm experiencing this moment matter any less. One, because I have no way of, again, proving or disproving if this is real or not real. And ultimately, I don't really care. It's irrelevant to my daily life. If my morning hunger is a simulation, well, it's good enough for me. If hiking to the top of a 14er and seeing the Continental Divide with all of its beauty is fake, I don't care. That looks pretty darn good to me. I'm pretty happy with it. So it, it it makes no sense to live your life thinking, oh, none of this could be real, um, this could all be fake. It it, all, it almost is. It, it's so self defeating. It is. It's not productive. We we talk about utilitarianism, thinking that reality is a simulation is completely counterproductive, because it makes your life. It, it almost makes your life not matter. If I'm just machine food.
2: It. I mean, yes and no. There's no inherent meaning to life anyway, right? There's there's the meaning is what you make
1: of it. That. But that's exactly my my point. If, for whatever reason, we are are alive and can think and can do cool stuff, I don't really know or care what that reason is. The point is, we are here now, and that's great. Well, unless you are suffering from a thousand years of Inuyasha's voice looping in your head. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, But otherwise, you know, life can be as good as you make it. If uh, I suppose you're not living in North Korea. Uh, okay. <laughs> I, so, think,
0: I think many simulation theorists would agree with everything you said. Um, they'll say that, you know, like Bostrom would point out that statistically it makes sense to uh, think it's somewhat probable that we live in a simulation, but that doesn't mean that like he doesn't love people or that he doesn't, you know, have breakfast, right? Right. But then um, then
1: what's the point of thinking about the simulation at all?
0: Uh, sometimes mental masturbation, sometimes like it would also like one circumstance where it could really matter would be like if this were the matrix and six dozen people had made it out and come back in and told us about it, then that then suddenly this become a very important conversation, right? Mm-hmm. Um, right now, yeah, I think it's Wait, just sort of is it fun. been a
2: very important conversation?
0: If we learned that,
1: if we learned for a fact that we we're in a simulation, uh-huh. I think that'd be kind kind of interesting. Okay, yeah, um, it would be fascinating. But I I think there's a very very decent chance that a lot of the simulation thought just comes from people who saw the Matrix movie when they were fourteen, like probably all of us did. It's a fascinating concept. Well, I mean, it's been
2: around for ages, at least since the ancient Greeks. The,
1: the whole idea that maybe
2: nothing is real and we're being fooled by powers beyond our control. Okay,
1: mm. well, substitute gods for computers. Right, you've exactly. effectively so, You've it, got the same thing. Yes. The Greeks couldn't prove or disprove the existence of Zeus. We can't improve or prove or disprove the existence of evil squid robots that control our brains for food. I mean,
2: we might in theory be able to prove it. Because right. if, if somebody managed to crash the matrix or something, sure, sure. Yeah. but, but it... you certainly can never disprove it because any disproof can just be like, well, that's the squids trying to fool
1: you sure uh yes that is, that is true Yes, somebody uh neo could for example show up and crash the matrix and all of a sudden we wake up in our little squid tanks and well wouldn't that be interesting the question would
0: that prove the the truth of simulationism or would that prove the truth of like christianity if he was wearing a beard when he came back
2: so so those little hacks i was talking about yeah about how to be a rationalist and still be religious that that's one of them that's hilarious <laughs> yeah yeah that that basically we are uh algorithms within a simulation and the the simulators want to prove that we can be... Tru- you know, like how if you have an, the, the old AI in a box experiment, classically uh, hated by rationalists because any AI are smarter than you is going to find its way out of the box. Uh, but but, but he, if you know
0: grass Tyson, you would say, well, I could just unplug it.
2: Right, right, which you can't <laughs> <laughs> if the AI is smarter than you. It has thought, already thought of that. But anyways, uh, ignoring all that, the the, the theory being that uh, if you have an AI in a box, you know it's much smarter than you. You can do great things in the world if you let it out, But you don't know if you can trust it to not turn everything into paperclips. So you put it in a little simulation of the world, and you see what it does, and if it doesn't destroy the world, then you let it out and be like, you have proven yourself trustworthy, come and, you know, do good things in the world. Uh, the 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 argument from the religious people being we're kind of in that right now and that's why we are free to do whatever we want and free to do bad things because our simulator slash God wants to see whether or not we are trustworthy out in the real world and that is our lives and Jesus is the one algorithm the algorithm that proved itself completely trustworthy and yeah and this would make a really fun story dude right <laughs> it would be amazing I gotta write this shit
0: um I had another thing to jump on before we kept going. Which was to that my yeah. fail, yeah, exactly. Before we go to that, I wanted to to change or not change. I wanted to uh, rehash one thing that I said earlier, which was I gave that poor pitch for for rationality by saying that it's all dark messages. Mm-hmm. And that was, like Kyle said, that was me, or one of you guys said, that was more me reacting. Like, that's more the cell of atheism, mm-hmm. which because I think I, I thought of that when I was reacting to the Jehovah's Witness pitch, which comes from a religious place. I think the pitch for rationality, you can, it has, I think there's three places to, to come from. And the two classic ones are like, epistemic rationality you know if you adopt this and do this right you can be right more often and so people who care about being right this is the way to do it
2: and also you can make your life better when you know more things more accurately
0: yes exactly so i i agree i think epistemic rationality leads into instrumental rationality which is achieve your goals more often and uh you know just just from the the general ability to be able to uh be aware of your biases and correct for them that sort of thing there's also a third version that i heard on julia gala's podcast and it was from somebody's book it wasn't it was somebody's pick at the end of the episode but it was basically those two things were were two ways to solve rationality and the third one was kind of like more poetic it was um you know like in every robot movie where the robots uh eventually say we're done being your guys slaves we're gonna rise up and be our own thing kind of like iRobot or something mm-hmm. rationality is sort of that upgrade for the robots explore the robots in that situation Ooh. and natural selections the 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 programmer yeah and so it's us breaking the bonds of our of our heritage and saying we're going to finally take charge here yeah Um, i like that one it's more inspiring That is a great way to put it yeah so that that would be the way i'd sell it that'd be the opening paragraph yeah okay as long as that's out there then we can move on to other stuff yeah all right like really you can't break things to people like so this
2: thing that we want to sell you—it's kind of like cancer, and it's going to ruin your life. That no one's going to buy that. Start out with the "break free from your chains" thing. Much better.
1: Yeah. Well, doesn't doesn't every mode of belief or faith kind of go to that purpose? Uh, start start with that that argument. You are you are chained by polytheism. Here's here's one God and the Savior. That's going to break you free and make everything better. Yeah, or but this religion's or so. true. Ah <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes, ah uh, yes, the "we are more right than you" argument, because that's always always done 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 well. But as, as as you said, people always come to conversions to any uh, faith or, or mode of thought on their own. You you can't force people to to do. Oh well, actually, the the Vikings were pretty good at it.
2: Well, I mean, there, there's the the long game of forcing people where you force them to pretend, and then their kids grow up in that religion. Right. And, right. Yeah, right. As long as they're they're pretending, then eventually the old religion just kind of goes away.
1: Oh yeah, it does that's a good point. Oh yeah, we should do that. We should take over the world and enslave everyone. No. What? (laughs) This has not gone where I thought it was going. (laughs) (laughs) Let me troll a little bit. Uh, One thing that I think is probably the greatest impediment to these ideas spreading is that there seems to be a pretty vested interest in people not improving themselves and in in that our our more instinctive behaviors, anger, revenge, whatever. Getting revenge on someone is usually a really bad idea. It usually does not make things better for you but people still really do it or uh, various other things
2: i mean i think for game theoretic reasons it's important to have revenge because people are less likely to do bad things if they know that you will go out of your way to punish them for doing that bad thing even if it costs you far more to punish them than than it's worth
1: i don't agree with that you know, in, no, because people make all kinds of stupid, uh, irrational, impulsive decisions all the time that they know are going to uh, cost them or others uh, terrible things. For example, most murders are crimes of passion, mm. and the next day, in the cold light of day hits the guy who killed uh, someone else. They're like, "That was that. I'm going to be in a jail cell for the rest of my life. Was it really worth that that moment of feeling really good about?" enacting my my revenge on someone probably not they're, they're probably going to say i wish i could take that back so so should he get away with it no 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 that's not what i mean at all oh, okay i mean that because people will often choose those instinctive this is going to feel good right now uh, type behaviors okay it's gonna feel really good to punch that guy in the face right I even see. though then when my hand hurts the next day and i've got the cops chasing after me hmm did that did that did that get me to where i want to go right you know you i think there was a, the the nazi punching uh our thing has come up a lot in this which i haven't listened to those episodes but i find that that, that whole train of thought really interesting and in that there are lots of people who say yes we should we should punch nazis and i completely disagree with that hmm and the main reason I disagree with it, you know, free speech aside, is that it does not improve, uh, it it, it does not get the Nazi puncher closer to their goal of no Nazis. In fact, the more Nazis you punch, the more Nazis you create, the more you make your own point of view look bad. Yeah. But when you talk to... Which is basically what we said too. Yes, I would assume you would have. When you talk to sort of, I guess the Antifa type folks, they don't seem to care about that. They don't seem to care that their behaviors and their way of thinking actually makes their own problem worse.
0: Well, I think that's probably because their goal isn't actually to reduce the number of Nazis in the world. It's to uh, satisfyingly vent their their anger at Nazis, right? So yes, they have short-term, and I would say poor goals, but th- you know, the, the Nazi puncher is probably actualizing their goal of hitting a Nazi, which is all they really want to do is feel good about it, right? They want to violently act against someone who they dislike. Which isn't and a great goal to have. I'm not defending no, that. No, no, but no, I, I'm, I'm saying that I think I can see how
2: they... And uh, they probably assume that that is the most socially acceptable person to violently act out against.
0: Yeah.
1: Uh, so, oh, I I, I would not have thought of a person in that way, in that their goal is not to prevent Nazism. Their goal is to punch someone. Yeah. Their goal might be, they might say they really
0: want to, like, reduce the number of Nazis and this will actually stop it. But if you showed them evidence that that actually didn't do it, they probably wouldn't care is what I'm yeah, guessing.
2: They'd still want to punch the Nazi.
0: Yeah, their bottom line, which is another kind of jargony phrase of, this is my conclusion, now I'm going to just back it up with, with arguments that I'm going to make up on the fly. Um, Their bottom line is, I want to hit a Nazi. And then they're going to make up arguments to support that position and why it's a good thing to do. Um, If you showed them, like, hey, you know, some of those arguments are wrong, they're going to be like, I don't really care. All I really wanted to do was punch Richard Spencer in the face. Okay. So... um. I, I strongly suspect anyway. I'm sure somebody probably would be like, oh, I thought this would actually help, but you persuaded me otherwise. I'm going to stop violently opposing people talking on the streets. So.
2: And I heard it, it grew out of a an area where punching Nazis actually was something you had to do to prevent from the 80s punk scene uh, where the, the, the clubs were basically the police didn't go in there unless they were just going to break the whole thing up and take everyone custody bash heads. And so it was basically a lawless anarchic place and people had to act as their own police force. And that was how they enforced the, you know, keeping Nazis out was you had to punch a Nazi. But the streets of New York City is not the same thing.
1: Or the streets of Berkeley, which I think is all 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 this campus nonsense that keeps happening that uh, makes me very unhappy.
2: Exactly. So I understand there are some situations where, yes, that sort of, I mean... That's how we keep people from breaking the law in general, right? The threat of violence where uh, you have to have that threat of violence. And since there's no police around the community has to enforce it instead, but it's gone way out of hand. And really, I think a lot of it is just the, the desire to punch someone. I, I remember someone saying, um, they were talking with a friend of theirs who got in a big old fight. It, I think it was an Antifa versus alt-right thing. I don't remember exactly, but, uh, she said, yeah, she talked to her friend and her friend said, yeah, we, we came there looking for a fight. They came there looking for a fight. There was a fight. Everything was good because they just wanted to fight. And I mean, that's a thing that young men do want to do often. And that's great and all, but there's a time and a place for that. Like when people are meeting for a rumble, as opposed to when you are being interviewed by a reporter
0: yeah if you're scheduling a rumble and you want to go out and just have a fight club thing kind of go nuts right yeah, well, I, yeah really I have no, I have no scheduling problem with a that. rumble
2: it's like showing up
1: at a club yeah. and ruining someone else's evening out right but i was being sort of yeah. facetious but yeah but in the, in the i guess in the case of the antifa versus alt-right there are a lot of other bigger consequences to that yes i've seen you know little mini documentaries on uh russian uh su- soccer supporter clubs mm. um who routinely practice street fights because they expect uh You know, oh, we, the Russian supporters of our Russian team, are going to go to another country and we're, you know, going to be hooligans and fight the supporters of the Hungarian team or whomever it is. And this is definitely part of that. We are a street fighting culture and we think that's fun. And I'm sort of okay with that in that context because it's actually consensual. It is consensual. There is some nationalist, kind of creepy political stuff that goes with it, but it's not nearly like we see with what the Antifa versus alt right thing that's been going on now which really does kind of color uh, all the debates happening in our country in a really negative way. And it makes people who would otherwise you would think would be sane, who are people saying Nazis are bad, well, now they also look bad. And that should not be. But they've done it themselves.
2: Is there an anti-Antifa symbol
1: yet? Not yet. No, but if I could start the anti-Antifa, I would. Okay, technically I can, but I'm not going to do that. Because their
2: symbol (laughs) is basically the, the, the Nazi cross with a circle line through it right i don't know the no nazi symbol maybe the swastika that's what it is yes yeah i don't know and i i feel if i were to adopt a no no swastika symbol that would just kind of look like i'm pro-nazi which is not what i want to do or if you just have
0: yeah a swastika with a line through it inside of a circle with a line through it (laughs) that i I don't know yeah Yeah. that would also sound like pro-nazi yeah i don't think there's a way around this no No, there's not
1: all right, are we kind of ready to do um, deathism?
0: I think so. Shall we? Can I give it a colloquial definition and you correct it for me? Do it. My colloquial definition is that's the the slur term for people who are anti-immortalism. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, if if uh, if someone's pitching like a transhumanist idea of like, would it be great if we all lived for as long as we wanted, as opposed to just like a few decades? And then they come back with like, no, because death, death is great for insert reason here. Mm-hmm. I think those people we call deathists. Yes. I don't think anyone says, I'm a deathist and I stand proud and I have a badge and everything. Right. right. No, no one does that. Yeah. Is that about right? Basically, yeah. Yeah.
2: The, uh, the thing with deathism is that it is so pervasive in culture that no one even really seems to notice it. And I think Eliezer put it really well one time when he said, if it was just a fact of life that every day someone came and hit you with a bat in the head uh, and there was nothing you could do about it, no way to prevent it, it was just, it was the same as the sun rising every day or the rain coming, just every day someone whaps you, appears, whaps you in the head with a bat and then disappears and that happens to everybody on earth forever, then you come to deal with it. You're like, secretly this is a good thing. This allows us to enjoy all the times in our life when we're not being whapped in our head. This gives meaning to life. This gives us something to struggle against. You know, there's, it, it just, it becomes, you have to integrate it into your life because otherwise, what the fuck? <laughs> life is too horrible to deal with if there's someone whapping you on the head every day. It's unfair. And so there, there, you have to come up with ways to deal with that sort of thing. And it is, it is just crazy in the culture. Like whenever you say to someone, wouldn't it be better if people could live for 200 years? They're like, no. That's, I can't imagine living that long. What would, what would you do? And you'd be so bored and tired. And what's the point? No, I just want to rest once I get to 70. And, and it's, it's really frustrating, which is why I think we have come up with the slur of deathist, because there's just, if you look at it, if you run into this sort of thing, it is apparent that there is a lot of people who are, without knowing it, pro-death. You sometimes get arguments like, well, if no one ever died, then there would never be any social change. One of the arguments is that science advances by the funerals of old scientists, right? Which, first of all, is bullshit. A lot of scientists update their beliefs on new evidence. But there is a thing that, yeah, the old guard always stick by their pet theories, and it's not until they die that science can advance. And I'm, I'm like, so your answer to the fact that social progress isn't happening fast enough is that everybody that has ever existed should be killed like not all at once of course the human race keeps going but everyone will die that is your answer to this problem you can think of no better way to solve this problem than murder everybody and people don't think of it that way and actually would get very offended if you were to put it in those terms because they're not pro-murdering everyone except they secretly
0: are (laughs) (laughs) i think the short shorthand would be like Stockholm syndrome with regards to death, yeah, right. It's like, no, no, this is really a good thing. I know it sucks, but like, let's now that it's a fact, we can just accept it and talk about how you know good it is. Death gives life meaning. There was actually this is right around the time what was this like four years ago where you did that panel discussion with uh, PZ Myers, Elias Yudkowski and David Brin. David Brin. Uh, it was it was more than four years now. I think. God, I'm old. Because I remember. <laughs> oh, you're right. It was five ish. Because yeah. I was at CSU when I was when I watched this. Oh, and. I was talking with somebody at school about. Uh, was so this before I, I knew you?
1: Right around. The, right around. Okay. Yeah. Okay.
0: Um, back when I was just a a secret fan. <laughs> um, so I'm. Oh, this is actually a quick uh, aside. I'm going to interject. I'm trying to make more of an effort into the show notes, even if it's like extracurricular links. I'm think I'm going to try and expand those to make them more of a resource rather than just like references for things we talked about, maybe adjacent things. So in an effort to do that, I'm taking notes as we talk and I just put Inyash death panel as one of them. <laughs> um, but now, is this a
2: death panel where I decide who lives or dies or where the panel decides whether I live or die?
0: This is Inyash this death panel could go <laughs> either way. This is to remind me of that, of that panel discussion that you had oh, or okay, that, that okay. four-way conversation. Um, but that's how I chose to note it to myself. Um, so I was talking with somebody at, at CSU and she I think this was just this was the worst thought out position I'd ever like heard from somebody that was defending death. But they were it was seriously a fertilizer argument. Oh, God. And she's like, yeah, no, it's good because, you know, we need the 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 stuff that makes up our bodies to go back into the into the ecosystem. And then it's good for, you know, uh. Uh, flourishing
2: of which is totally what happens when we preserve bodies put them in coffins and stick them in a graveyard
0: yeah and like and embalm them too which is terrible yep, yep. but even if we were to grind them up into fertilizer i said you know there are better sources of fertilizer than people right <laughs> yeah. and she was like yeah but i still think it's a good thing oh. and so like that that's clearly another example of bottom line thinking yeah, right she, Where she just like, hadn't thought through her position yeah well cl- i mean the fertilizer Clearly. thing was just, that was, like I said, the worst. Yeah, I'll take overpopulation as a more serious problem. I'll take uh, boredom as a more serious problem,
1: resource allocation, whatever it is. But fertilizer, come on. No. <laughs> well, things do need to die so that uh, new things can live. That's pretty Do sta- they though? That's pretty standard in, in nature. Yeah, but nature mean, sucks.
0: Yes, in nature it is because oh, yeah. nature does suck. That might be like the one sentence definition of transhumanism. What? Nature fucking sucks. We can do better. I like, you got to add the we can do better part. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise it sounds like a downer. It can be nature nature fucking sucks, dash, we can do better. Yeah, Yeah. All right. Perfect.
2: Yeah. But I mean, that depends a lot on like, are you making the argument that there's just not enough space? Because we can solve that problem.
1: Oh, yes. We could certainly launch off into Mars and wherever else. Right. I would say that the limitation of suddenly not having death be a problem is, does humanity then decide to infinitely reproduce? Because it's part of as part of life experience, children is often a thing that people want. Yeah. Well, if nobody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> oh yes. Uh, often, not always. Yes. Injaš uh, just got a vasectomy. <laughs> yes. He's, he's, yes, he's still recovering. That's why it's funny. Haha. <laughs> right. uh-huh. But if, if you if you have a scenario in my which my pain uses Stephen, it's thought it was
0: super super poignant because like people often want to have kids and you're like actually <laughs> <laughs> no but sorry but uh, that,
1: I mean that might be it, people do often want to have kids it they o- true. they often do uh in more uh, I don't want to use the word advanced in in more. Okay, modern. fine. In more modern countries, uh, birth rates often decline pretty de- precipitously. That's what we've seen over the past hundred years. Mm-hmm. Whereas, below, rep- below, uh... Yeah, below the replacement level. Yeah. So uh, that that just seems to be a thing that 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 just happens. And I don't. I'm sure there's studies about that. I know I personally have struggled to, to meet single women uh, who want who are smart and cool and awesome and beautiful who actually want kids. It's becoming pretty rare. And if you go into less developed areas of the world, they all want kids. So that might be, that that might be like an internal uh, sub program thing that our nature has put in there to stop us from overpopulating too much. I don't know. That's, 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 that's a total riff. There's, I have a number of thoughts about that,
2: but none of them are supported by anything aside from my own, bullshit. So anyways, oh, that, sorry, that, keep going.
1: That, that's fine. Well, so, so my, my concern would eventually be, sure, there's an, there's a fe- the universe is practically infinite. Sure, you could keep shipping off shiploads of people to go places and colonize and do whatever the heck they want, but in terms of uh, since we haven't figured out faster than light travel yet and probably aren't going to for a while, we do eventually run into a problem of uh, there being too many people and there not being enough resources and also there not being enough things to do because if we have solved mortality, that means we've solved a lot of other scarcity-related things. And that means you've got a bunch of people sitting around going, okay, I'm going to be here for 500 years, 1,000 years, and uh, there ain't nothing to do. So uh,
2: addressing the two concerns in order, uh, yes, you are correct. I think Robin Hanson once made a calculation that even just like a very slow growth rates of 1% or less, uh, in a what is a fraction of the time that the universe has to exist... Ah, uh, there will be more people than there are atoms in the universe, sure,, uh, which obviously is not sustainable, right. um there there are potential ways to get around that. there I mean, even uploading doesn't fix it because you still need energy to run people. But you would at some point have to do some sort of thing where you just take out that desire, which is a real big can of worms because some people are going to not want to modify to take that desire away, you know, even if it is harmful for the universe. And then what do you do with those people? Do you have to declare a, you know, galactic war against the
0: reproducing cancer people who will not stop making more of themselves? It might be as easy as just making new generations of humans making fertility an opt-in feature, right? Right, no, Um, but there are... So there are people who would opt in. Yes. But I think that, I mean...
2: And then those people would take over the galaxy because, by definition, they're the ones who are reproducing at a fast rate. Yeah, that's I mean that's that's true, but you can it can slow is down tricky. substantially maybe. Yeah, you're you can right. you can uh, potentially remove the desire with enough brain hacking, but you're gonna have to do something about the people who don't want to remove that desire. Which is a problem for future Eniash. <laughs> <laughs>
0: um, I think I think Darwin did a calculation that was like uh, with elephants and it was a surprisingly short number of generations to where like just land landmass and earth would be completely covered in elephants if every one of their children survived mm-hmm. and we're not quite in that boat because you know we have more than just the earth and we we can uh like i said simulations give us wide opportunities to uh change that up a bit mm-hmm. or even you know just space travel you know as long as there's enough energy to keep people alive and you know happy or whatever it takes to do that um yeah that's i guess i hadn't given a lot of thought to the idea that yeah the people who want to reproduce would necessarily eventually outnumber the people who don't right um and removing that would take something out of what they want
1: that would also kind of make us not quite human anymore yeah that's what people point out they talk about the four f's i'm not not super sold on those
2: i less human because i don't want to reproduce
0: you were less human three days ago yeah no, uh, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Because uh, I, I don't plan on having kids either, and I I don't think that I'm. I'm I mean, less I guess human, there's but... a
2: few grams less human in my <laughs> physical form. Uh-huh. But... No, I didn't.
1: I didn't. No, you are still human, but you you consciously chose to to not reproduce. Yeah. Whereas if you did a global brain hack on humans, all humans basically took the desire to reproduce out of our DNA. That's kind of modifying us to where we are not the thing that we were that is true but we also modify us
2: to be not the thing that we were when we get rid of things like cancer Uh, that's just part of the human condition or the desire to murder people that's arguably not innate but uh there are a lot of things you do to make humanity better which makes them different from what evolved on the earth but better nonetheless
1: whether the removing the desire to reproduce makes us better or not is up for debate that is true but it might be necessary uh, possible there, there I, I would it would take a pretty draconian system in order to have true eternal life combined with the desire the accommodating the desire to have uh, children in that some people will choose to die
2: yeah you could um always have a a uh, like a death credit that you are allowed to have children but if for every child that you have your maximum lifespan like, for if you have one child, your maximum lifespan is capped at 10,000 years, and then for every extra child you have, it's reduced by another thousand or something. Like, if you're willing to die, you should be able to replace yourself, right? That's a great idea. That that may be the thing. If you have a couple, they are able to have two children, and they have to die at some point in the not-too-distant future. Uh, so that would be one way to
1: opt in to uh, to having kids and not overwhelming the universe. I also think that there's also a great deal of positive utility gained by introducing new minds into Mm. the universe. Yeah. Because new minds always do cool things. Yeah. And if you just have the, let's say there's only a million people, million humans in the universe because we've figured out everything and we have no need to make new ones, I guess, then, well, that's kind of boring. And the whole point point of living eternally is to have lots of fun all the time. And new minds are usually really good at coming up with, with cool new things. Yeah. So Although I think there's probably an upper limit to how many
2: minds how many different types of minds there can be at least of the human architecture like it wouldn't surprise me if there was maybe no more than a few quadrillion types of minds that could exist and after that you just kind of got mind clones well not pure mind clones they have different life experiences still
1: well you're you're also assuming that uh oh dang it i lost the thought you're also oh it was such a nice thought come back Oh, thought you were so good. Damn it! Why am I tired? <laughs> I was making a stupid assumption though. No, 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 no. You, well, uh, oh, there it goes again. And like, I'm like Sam Gamgee forgetting his rope.
0: I, I can, I can start, and if I trigger anything, then you can just cut me off. I could. I was gonna say that uh, as far as introducing new minds, another avenue to doing that would be just giving people the option to kind of wipe out their old mind and say, "All right, I'm gonna try this, but I'm gonna start from this upbringing instead." Kind of just like you know, mm. choose your own adventure style book except you could just start your own or like a you re-roll your character exactly re-roll your character right. sheet and you're like i'm gonna try and be you know this for ten thousand years and maybe at the end you know you can i don't know how this would work you can um, revert back to who you were before yeah you could revert back or you could you know collapse all of those into one mind You'd be like all right well that was fun now i have all these five different generations of experiences i'm gonna try this one next mm-hmm. that might be one way to get new or novel minds into the into the world without having to like create
1: them right yeah I my, remember my thought. My thought was, you are overestimating our ability to say remember all of the types of minds we might encounter that could possibly exist. That's true. Because if if you are assuming that all humans, all future transhumans, all have perfect recall, and then we're well, well then we're effectively computers at that point. And well, I don't know how much I, how good I feel about that. Mm. But at that point, we're computers with infinite memory, which is not possible because nothing is infinite as possible. So I, I think you are. Over, you are underestimating people's ability to forget. Okay.
2: And I as, as for the boredom thing, I just, I don't really see that as an issue. I think there are so many different things you can do and so many ways to combat boredom. And I mean, you could even just erase parts of yourself if you wanted to, to retry things like, God, there's some movies I wish I could just completely erase my memory of having watched The Matrix because the first time you watch The Matrix, you're like, holy fuck. Memento is the same way. Mm. The first time you watch Memento and you get to the the end scene and everything snaps into place it's just like wow i will never have that experience again with this movie because i already know how it ends
1: now you know right but you also gained a a lot of cool stuff yeah have by the virtue of having experienced that yeah if you erased that then whatever growth you might have gotten from uh that experience is now wasted and and if we're talking about a silly little you know if we're talking about a knock-knock joke or something then no nothing really matters but when i saw the matrix that opened my mind to a lot of interesting concepts a lot of you know media does that to us we're like i never thought of that before that's super cool and you carry that wisdom with you for forever on I don't know if that's valuable to say. Well, I want to be able to just hit the repeat button over and over and over again and Turn have into that into a loop intelligence. Yes, then you yeah. then you just then you've just made yourself into I mean, how different are you from uh, an experimental rat who hits a button to get a drop of cocaine water? Right. But I th- I think there
2: are a lot of experiences that can still be had and if anyone ever really does get to the point where they have done literally everything that is possible to do and interacted with everyone that it is worth interacting with which is, I think, the harder part, if there are trillions of people out there, like, even getting to know one person really well takes a long time, and they still keep surprising you. And and I, I just don't think you would run out of stuff. But if you ever did, completely run out of stuff and just be bored, I mean, you could always just kill yourself at that point. Be like, yeah. okay,
1: I, I'm done. I have finished this game. Yep. Yeah. Uh, I, do Make you... way for a new person. I actually think a lot about the immortality issue in regards in the context of computer games because if you ever have it's sort of like if you ever turn on God mode, mm. you're bored. Yeah, right. It's like, yeah. well, there's no there's no more challenge. There's no more more interest. It's fun for about two minutes sure. as you go crazy, and then you're like, Whoa, okay, man. well, that was a waste of my time. Yeah, and so one type of game that I actually really dislike playing are sandbox games. Okay. Uh, I can't, I'm sure there's many examples of them, uh, but I I never like them because I never, because there's, there stops being a point pretty quickly Mm -hmm. once you kind of get your head around what's going on and it just kind of continues in perpetuity and there's no real point and you just kind of go, okay, well I'm here and uh, I guess that's cool whatever. I'm, I'm, there's
2: a lot of people that like them and I I know, and I don't understand that. I think those are the sorts of people that are good at making their own meaning. They're like, you know what? I'm going to make a giant calculator out of Minecraft. That's (laughs) exactly the example I was going to raise.
0: Just because that would be neat thing to try to do someone made a binary calculator in minecraft where they used the electric current switches is that you can use to power carts and doors and stuff and they made a uh a big binary calculator that could do math and everything like it's massive the logic gates are literally big enough for your character to walk through because (laughs) it's minecraft but um so i thought but it works yeah those are the kind of people that can take you know a pointless sandbox game and just like what can i and they think the they think of just the possibility space of everything that they can think of and they can find a fun target that's hard to hit and grab it i'm not that kind of person i don't play a lot of minecraft i i'm like you i played it until i got you know oh this is how the game works well in order to do anything, like, you can keep digging for, like, harder to get resources, but that gets old really fast. So, sure. Um, but luckily, I don't think our lives are really that kind of sandbox. You know, because there are things that you, well, I guess down the line things could get different where, where there aren't things you have to do. Because in Minecraft, you could just sit in your mud hut all the time and just go out and grab food every day and go back inside, right? Like, you don't have to build a cool house just with like electric doors. Life. Just like real life. Yeah, just like just like real life. <laughs> hide, hide from the monsters in your mud huts. Yeah. Um, <laughs> except the monster's depression. <laughs>
1: well, the mon- if the monster t- can't chase you, it's probably sad. Mm. You'd give it a meaning, you'd, you'd give it a purpose by letting it chase you.
0: Oh. Plus depression can get you inside your mud hut, so yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it's true. Uh, but <laughs> that aside, I, I think that, you know, for the most part, there are things that we feel compelled to do, whether it's uh, because we need, you know, money to pay for, like, housing and food, or just to uh, alleviate boredom there's, there's more of a drive to get stuff done than, like, you need in a sandbox game. So I don't know if that's the best. I see where the analogy is, but I don't know how strong it is to, like, actually translating to real life. But it could be more closely applicable to distant simulation lives that people could have, right? Because that might be much more sandboxy.
1: Here, here's, my, here's my counter to that. So... You ever you ever notice how the busier you are, the more interesting things seem to be. The more work you get done, the more interesting things you encounter. And if you just have, if you've ever had a phase of life where you've just been kind of stuck somewhere and not a lot's going on, and you kind of you all of your desires, all of your interests just kind of crater. Uh, I'm sure there's some people who can who can actually use that time really productively. I'm just not one of them. Uh, But a lot of life desires, a lot of what makes living worth it what it's sort of like how if you sit around all day and it sucks but then you just decide to go take a take a little walk or a little hike and all of a sudden like look at the world look how cool this is and all it inspires you it makes you productive it, it gives you inspiration if you have a transhuman society in which you don't have to leave your mud hut because there's a food replicator there and there's infinite good t- tv that's always really cool and you can always you know future skype with your friends across the light years and you have no re- you have no reason to get out of your your hole then why are you there are you you you're, you're, you are existing you are not thriving you are not yeah evolving you're not growing and the kind of the point of this immortality thing almost seems like you you're wanting to have something in which you can infinitely grow and yet infinitely stay the same at the same time and those don't seem those seem to be counter-purposeful
0: yes they are at odds i do have a couple quick thoughts one that i sort of assume that your food replicating machines in the future will have like either that or your biology will have like antidepressants 2.0 in them like you know they'll make you just less depressed in general like that sort of just like boring on we feeling that you're describing Mm -hmm. um you know it's like you'll have i don't know for the most part when i'm feeling like that you know that closed off like just sitting and doing nothing all the time that's mainly just like i have this like lack of energy and drive and hopefully that won't be a problem um i'd like to think that that's a fixable issue but the second half of that you're getting into describing like utopia problems and that's not something i'm equipped to tackle that's a that's a really hard line of thinking because yeah how do you keep people happy and engaged in a society that is like also safe from you know accidental death and that sort of thing, right? There's got to be challenges to overcome because that's super satisfying. That's part of why people like doing stuff,
1: right? And Inyash had a thing about this quite some time ago about having the AI protect us from asteroids. Mm-hmm. And if the AI protected us from asteroids and other bad things, and the humans feel like they can't do it themselves, then the humans aren't going to be very happy with that because then what is the point of the humans being there? Yeah. Why not just have the AI just be everything, right? And you, I believe, were in favor of. Were you in favor of the the AI baby, basically being our babysitter, or not? I can't remember. I was not. I was definitely in favor. You, you, yeah. you were in favor of the of the, of the AI, um, but I think that's absolutely real. If we feel like we don't have meaningful choices, it, and also danger is fun. Mm-hmm. Why do people do stupid things all the time? Because <laughs> the ones who survive the thing are like, "Whoa, I survived the thing." It's, yeah. ama- it's, it's amazing. And then yeah. of course, the ones who don't, well, they're dead and nobody cares.
0: <laughs> Danger is fun, but the species going extinct isn't. That's sort of why I was in favor of like having the AI be the, uh, the guardian sort of role, right? Just of um, Extinction i mean yeah or catastrophe right you know if we lost 70 percent of people that'd also be kind of a drag like your stupid mistake shouldn't kill off half the planet but if it kills you and that was a risk you're willing to take then you know okay i I can bite that bullet i do want to go
2: back to what steven said just a minute ago though where he said um but these are utopia problems and i think that's that's totally the point that yes these are problems and they are things we will have to address but we can find better solutions than killing everyone is, is what I always come back to.
1: I don't think anyone has advocated for that yet.
2: Well, no, but a lot of people do. They're like, and that is why nobody should be immortal. And I'm like, that you're you're advocating for killing everyone.
1: Well, th- then you're getting to Logan's Run territory, I guess, which is also an interesting way of having a society.
0: Yeah. I'm not familiar with Logan's Run.
1: Logan's Run is a 70s science fiction movie uh, that takes place in a, dis- in a in a utopia that is made possible uh, by virtue of all humans are killed Ritually, on their 30th, basically the 30th birthday. In the and, movie, it was the 30th birthday, yeah. Yeah, and up basically up until your 30th birthday, you ha- have a utopian perfect I- existence. And the way that this uh, being killed at age 30 is kind of made a palatable thing is people are told that if they they, they might... If they're so perfect and pure, they might survive the ritual and then they become, then they're gods basically. But of course nobody does because they get inserted by laser beams. Yeah, yeah.
2: But I mean, it, it, they don't find out that they're killed. It's like an an ascension, I, I believe, yeah, if I remember the movie. So nobody knows that they're actually going to die.
1: Right. But it's sort of like a, you're going to get, I think they chant rebirth, rebirth yeah, yeah, or yeah. something when they're in the ritual. But, bas- but basically the way that the system works is that it... it, it everyone is killed yeah they're they're the that's a story that's a right. lie
2: and and that's that's basically what we have right now except instead of 30 it's around 80 and it's not an exact date it's 80 give or take a decade
1: well it, no, the difference is we don't we don't choose that <laughs> well
2: but we could in theory and there's people who
0: don't want us to have the ability to choose that yeah i think i think the difference is that yeah we're not choosing that right now but the future that we people advocate against the future where it is a choice yeah and And that's 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 what we call a deathist, right where we shouldn't have the choice to live forever
2: that the only way to to correctly continue to be human and to keep our problems small and is to make sure people only have that that hard limit like
0: the the logan's run limit Hmm. 30 years seems and i haven't seen the movie but that seems super low do they still have to take like 20 years to become real people oh yeah dude in
2: in the book i don't remember if it was a book or short story i didn't actually read it myself but in the book it was like 21
0: Oh, it was twenty one. Wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You you basically got
2: through adolescence and then like you're done, so you which also made this really side of be really immature. I bet because
0: you were teenagers were the oldest people, right? Yeah, See, mm-hmm. that sucks. I I don't feel like I started like self actualizing till I was post twenty one. Oh, so, I know. I didn't here.
2: until I don't think I did until I was early thirty, maybe twenty nine. I was
1: same here. 20, 29 I think, is when I actually became an adult
2: yeah oh cool i've got
0: something to look forward to
1: i just turned
2: 28 <laughs> a few months ago well i mean i had to go through three years of alcoholism first so you got to get on that train <laughs>
1: all right i'll swing by the store on the way home I'll sw- <laughs> and you know all, all of us have been through divorces and well that sort of wakes you up a little bit yeah so hmm uh, i'd like to skip that part is there, uh, is there a shortcut uh, nope no nope. <laughs> gotta get married nope. and then divorced sorry no nope. gotta gotta have all the pain and then you get this smart is why stuff. my parents are still children <laughs> Ooh, sick burn um the you the, the thing you said about deathists and how they say that by virtue of trying to what is why am i tired and have words no words you just said a thing about deathists say that if we try to be immortal and have utopia we will not be human mm-hmm. and i think they i think that's correct I think that's absolutely app- we, we we would be more than human at that point. transhuman. We would be transhuman at this sure. point. you You could also say that all religions are effectively transhumanist because they say that, well, you're gonna die and go to heaven or hell, and then that will be either be utopia or misery. So if you go yes, to heaven, but I think transhumanism has a specific focus on the physical reality aspect of things, oh, sure but if if we achieve this you know immortality, we achieve utopia, we've effectively stopped being humans if we we would have effectively perfected ourselves.
2: I don't think we've stopped being humans we've like humans plus you know, like is a dog is like still a wolf sort of, but not entirely It, it would be the same kind of thing where humans we still have the the human roots. we wouldn't stop we wouldn't turn into some other alien species, right. I could I could recognize my transhuman
0: descendants as coming from me and sharing some human values. Are we less human that we, because we wear insulating clothing and we have air conditioning and we can get far distances in short times with cars right. and we can augment our bodies with the like glasses? I don't think we're any less human for having those things. Right. We miss out on some of the primal experiences that our ancestors had, like being cold and being unable to see and having to walk everywhere. But that sounds like a small price to pay, right? Are we less human because
2: we don't fear and hate the outside tribe that comes by and you know steals our game every now
0: and then?
1: Oh, we still do that all the time, just in a modern way. <laughs> oh, well,
0: damn. I'd like to think that humanity could shed that aspect of ourselves too, right?
1: That'd be really nice. Tribalism sucks. It's not necessary anymore.
0: But I think that, yeah, while that might be the kind of thing that's been characteristic of our species for uh, millions of years, that seems like the kind of thing that we could live without and be better off for it. So I think, I mean, that's sort of how it, like, are we less human because we now live to 80 rather than 50? I mean, I don't think so, right? So if we lived to be, I mean, granted, it's a bigger jump to say 80 million years old as opposed to 80, but I don't see where the argument falls apart at what year do you pass this this barrier like okay yeah hold on that's
1: too far 217 <laughs> Why 217 arbitrary yeah well i i mean we're so far away from transcending that biology that's kind of we don't even we're so far away from it i don't know i feel like i'm surprised every once in a while about how close
0: we seem to be um now whether it's going to be this week or this Century, I think that that's you know kind of like the upper and lower bounds. But I think I think it's possible that some people being born today might not ever have to die of old age. I think so. I think that and that that wasn't true one hundred years ago, right? Oh yeah. Um. So well, obviously now we know that it wasn't true one hundred years ago, but it might have right. been stupidly optimistic to say, you know, I was born like my my grandma was born in a house without, without electricity, and I don't think she they got electricity in their house till she was in her teens. I don't think that her parents were saying my kids are gonna live forever, right? But I don't think that it's unreasonable to think that I, I i rather i would say it is unreasonable to think that in 500 years we won't have some of these breakthroughs and i i'm i think 500 years is like my super high upper bound i think it's probably way closer Aubrey de gray talks about longevity escape velocity where if you can hit life extension life extension technology and live to be uh, have another 30 healthy quality years by the time those 30 years are up we'll probably have more life extension technology and then lather, rinse, repeat until you kind of hit this foom takeoff and you can just live as long as you want. But he talks about the, the first people to hit that extension might be the first immortals, right? Mm-hmm. They won't just live to be 150 and be healthy. They can, because by the time they're aging again at, at 140. They found new, better ways to make you revive your aging cells. Exactly. And
2: I mean, maybe there are upper limits on how much a human brain can handle before it starts falling apart and going crazy, no matter what we do to it. And we'll find that out if that is the case.
1: And then we have to modify our biology, and then we're a new thing. Whether that's a good or bad thing is up to you. Yeah. What other topics do we have?
2: We had utilitarianism, overpopulation, and net neutrality still.
1: Overpopulation, I think, was touched on. I think we kind of, yeah. Um, that. Utilitarianism uh, touched, but not really discussed. Yeah. Uh, is, was there more you wanted to go into about my interdu- inter- introducing myself to rationalism or anything like that? Or do you feel like that got...
0: I had a couple. I was curious, was there anything that you heard so far since you started editing that was like, these guys are fucking nuts. I'm on board with half this stuff, but man, that that thing I'm never going to be sold on.
1: In terms of overall concepts, I'm sure one will come to mind. I, I, I think overall, and there's a lot of pie in the sky that goes on, says the guy who just had a two-hour conversation about pie in the sky and mortality, so <laughs> right? um, that's me. I guess I, I, would, I would really be interested in seeing more ways in which this way of thinking could be a little more uh practically based i mean it it is obviously practical just by thinking about hey be less wrong i would i think i i would like to explore you know we we talked about oh hey a practical thing is getting people to think rationally that's pretty darn practical i guess i would like to say there are lots of problems that we can touch today versus immortality which is going to be a tomorrow thing mm-hmm. so what can we touch today more and i, I know you guys have done that with crypto currencies you've done that with with drugs some other things so i think that's more of my overall we keep trying to do spirituality but it always gets derailed
2: in my opinion <laughs> like one time i got derailed into rituals last time i got derailed into drugs and i was like i'd like to do actual spirituality at some point well not not to say that spirituality with drugs isn't actual spirituality mm-hmm. but you know careful jenkins will be all all up in your business right exactly but i meant just the spiritual part without any any drugs involved
0: yeah i wonder
2: but there there—that that is i mean and that that is a very good point especially when you asked us off the top like how do you get people into rationality and how do you how do you present this to someone and spread it in the world because the world really does need more rationality in it yeah and we could we could stand to raise the sanity water line and talking about you know future utopias and simulation
1: arguments can be fun and all, but you're right. I think we should hit that a little more often. That would personally appeal to to me more. But again, that's just my maybe my personal thingy, Bob. No, I think that's a good point. I I like that. I mean,
0: it's one thing to have you know fun conversations that uh, you know are engaging, but ultimately kind of like, well, that was fun mm-hmm. and another thing to have a conversation where you can walk away with like an actionable, like, okay, cool. I should start doing this. Mm-hmm. And
2: I think you shouldn't divorce them
0: entirely because like the
2: whole future utopia thing is one of the things that can get people excited. Mm-hmm. Gives them a goal.
1: Yeah. But... I would also say that it's also a really good brain workout and that, yeah. that is inherently beneficial just okay. by, by virtue of thinking, Oh yeah, ha- these utopian problems and, uh, the, you know, immortality problems. Oh, that makes me think and thinking about that kind of stuff is, I think, and inher- just, it's good. It, it, Makes you thinking about that stuff increases your overall. I don't know brain level. fitness. You, you, you it's you, you gain XP and level up. That's that's what it does. <laughs> nice. I, yeah, that, it's, my brain fitness is quite down at the moment. Right. So that 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 is that is certainly advantageous. I guess I, I would like to. I think it'd be cool to explore people who are. It would be great to have a non-rationalist on the show. Mm. Someone who it was Ooh. a very emotive. Who someone who was a very emotive person. Yeah. Someone who really lived in their gut. and
2: And try to sell them
1: on this thing not not even so much trying to sell them, but just trying to understand Mm -hmm. so it's sort of when you have when you you know if you ever have a conversation with someone who passionately feels and believes something and it kind of seems to come from a totally different different part of the human experience and it just goes way past you because you just you cannot cannot get to where they are and i feel like if you were able to interact with someone like that and try to get them into a rationalist mindset just for a moment, they hmm. might be able to make themselves clear to you and thus increase mutual stand- understanding. And that's always a good thing. Oh, yeah. Don't this know how do that.
0: This episode was sort of a dry run for me for that kind of experiment.
1: Hmm. But I'm already in the headspace that you guys are in.
0: Yeah, but A, I didn't really know that. Ah. And B, I think it's easier to start with a with a slightly easier run. Because right, like, like right. I said, you, you didn't seek this stuff out. It was kind of like, this is what I'm guess I'm going to have to listen mm-hmm. to edit the show. But that's interesting. I don't know how we had put out a, a listing for that. Cause certainly oh, come a... on. We both know people who are on the other side of the how how brains work spectrum. The second part, I was going to say people who'd be interested in doing a, a show about that.
1: I think eh, you could. Well, you're, you're charming. Someone. You, can, you can finagle someone into coming over to my place. Maybe you're charming. <laughs> I, I think that would be quite easy. If you have a willing, happy friend person who, yeah. and you have a list of things that you find interesting to talk about that they also you could probably you could just make a list of topics and we, let's we can talk about spirituality if you've got a religious friend boom there you go really want to talk about um you know maybe culture war stuff which i know you guys probably avoid because that gets very gut gut feelingy yeah. that that would be an easy way to to bring that out it's well, not I a mean, good the...
0: introductory topic i
2: think but it is a fun one and mm. it's also kind of important i mean that's one of the places you most need rationality right is when cult- culture war stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Because that is the the grabbing you by the gut and making your emotions do the work instead of the thinking. Sure.
0: Isn't that like explicitly super hard to do for entry level critical thinking? Yes. Yeah. It so is. You don't grab somebody and say, "Hey, so the things that you care about are really stupid. Let's <laughs> la- let's help you defend them." Right. Yeah, that's true. Well, that's why you um,
1: sorry, nicer about it. <laughs> <laughs> like, that's really interesting. Tell me more about your feelings instead of you sucking. You're wrong. Yeah. <laughs> like that um street epistemology person. Yeah.
2: Right. So the hood about what? Street epistemology was an earlier episode we had before we brought you on board where someone said that basically outlined ways to talk to people that is non-confrontational and do that sort of thing. Like try to draw them out and ask them questions and, you know, tell me more about your thing. It was hmm. essentially
0: Socratic method, which is like uh. ask them to clarify and be like, that's really interesting. Do you mean this? And then they'll be like, oh, no, wait, I guess I mean this. And kind of just, you know, I guess socrates them into hating you so um okay <laughs> like <laughs>
2: always always lead ask leading questions that both draw out their views but make them think about their own views in a slightly critical way i know and i was being
0: funny by yeah maybe well and the, that they will hate f- you because they made socrates kill himself right, right. <laughs> <laughs> <It didn't work laughs> like, fuck you get out of here it didn't work great for him but
1: <laughs> um, you stop right before they try and poison you so okay. uh-huh Oh, the the idea being that if you did this with someone who was maybe more of an emotive thinker it would make them not like the things that they actually thought mm. and that would make them unhappy and then they would not like you or or at least think more about the things that mm. they have accepted very uncritically mm. there was oh dear i can't remember where i saw oh yes there I, there i listened to something once about what it meant to actually know something mm. and how hard that really is yeah uh, and part of uh it, it, the, the theme of this was look into a claim of whatever it, it is, whether it be something as simple as two plus two or is voter fraud real mm-hmm. and really look into that. Mm-hmm. And somebody actually started doing a few of these things and really looking into common accepted arguments of whatever this, and it, of course it's always much more complicated than anyone ever thinks. And the reason why I thought, well, it was great that somebody did that, but it's so hard to really know something just because there's so much to know. Mm. And I have to trust my friend Eniyash, who knows lots about accounting, because... <laughs> lots in quotes. He, he he has taken the time to do this, and I just have to trust him. Because I, I, I don't possibly have the time to know everything myself.
0: Yeah, like I haven't personally verified the age of the universe, right? But I'm no, prepared exactly. to say it's right around 13.4 billion years old, or whatever it is.
1: Right, because we all rationally trust other people who we think are smart to... To yeah. know things for us.
0: Yeah, I trust the enterprise of science to where, like, if, science, if the scientific consensus is this, well, there's a huge benefit in science to overthrowing a paradigm, right? right. So, Right. Not if this just because
2: the person's smart, but because his peers
0: will call him out if his reasoning isn't good. Yeah, so that's, I mean, I'm still trying to think of people I know that would be good candidates for this. We'll have to give it some thought. Okay. you got to know someone, like, even people you're related to. Yeah, but I don't know if they'd want to do a podcast.
2: Uh, they would have to drive
0: all the way down. Or like even just want to talk, right? So I don't know. This is this is tough. Maybe you know more people than I do. I mean, I try to keep the people that I know fairly broad. I
2: never thought that I would be dating an actual witch, but I was like, I maintain "Eh, that you're not. Right. I I now also agree. But for the
0: first few weeks, I was like, it's expanding my sphere of people. Let's give this a try. Yep. Well, I'm I'm saying that I don't think. I think that she says that she thinks she's a witch, yes. but I don't think she actually thinks she's a witch and yeah. that she doesn't think she's... She says, I'm doing spells and stuff, but you're not actually doing stuff. You're meditating. Yeah. And I feel like that's... And like I pointed out, I feel like that word game is uselessly complicated and doesn't help anything other than... I her, her made a goal of, of challenging social... Ex, or challenging expectations.
2: Well, it also does a pretty good job of filtering out people who will not put up with that shit. Like, even just a few years ago, I would have been like, oh, so you're a crazy person and not bothered. But, you know, lately I was like whatever everyone's crazy let's see what sort of crazy this crazy is and if if it's a fun kind of crazy that's cool and it turned out to be not that crazy after all just trying
0: to filter out people you know yeah and i know a lot of people who wouldn't go to rational who wouldn't go to a rationalist meetup and you know who enjoy a good conversation i think so i'm not i, I don't want to give the impression that like i only have like 10 friends and i'll go to less wrong meetups mm-hmm. um but i only have 11 friends and 10 of them go to less <laughs> wrong meetups so uh in the 11th i don't know if they'd want to do a podcast i'm being somewhat facetious you I know can a handful of people and then ask them what? Like, what's the topic? Do you want to talk about, like, general? Or do you want to grab we an important topic? We could
2: come up with a list to of topics. Okay. That's them what they
1: want to talk on. You'd probably have to start with something you don't agree on. Probably. To stimulate conversation. Oh, my God. We might have to learn this double crux thing people keep talking about. That's fun.
0: I've been reading about it. That oh, yeah. Stuff? Yeah. The double...
2: Oh, good. Then you should, do an, you should teach me about it on an episode.
0: What's double crux? I thought it'd be fun to do it, like, as an exercise on the air. So double crux is where, I think, quickly paraphrasing... Uh, say Inyash and I have a different have a disagreement about a factual claim. We then say, okay, well, I believe this claim because of this, and then I believe the opposite of that claim because of this, and then that's our actual disagreement. Uh, we don't disagree about.
1: Uh, oh yes, you did cover this. A little bit. This was yes, I think this was covered at some point. Um, but
0: I thought it'd be fun to like do an actual double Crux game on the air. But uh, until you eventually get to a single
2: belief that you guys both say. This is a thing that this is. I believe this, and if this certain thing were proved to be untrue, I would change my mind. Exactly. And the other person believes the other way, and then you go and try to find out what the actual truth about that claim is. Right. Which seems like a very fucking hard thing to do. It is because a could lot be fun. of beliefs don't necessarily boil down to just one thing that you can find, which is, I guess, part of the game: trying to find the one thing.
0: That's part of the game, but it doesn't have to be one thing that like your entire belief depends on. I think. Right. Right. Um, it could be that just sufficient to change your mind. Yeah. Um. So like. Like, I don't know how you would double crux, like abortion uh, is good and bad because I think souls exist and I think they don't because you can't go empirically verify that claim. Mm. But you could say like, I think uh, gun, I think banning guns is a great idea because um, too many people uh, murder each other with them. And then you could say, okay, well, let's compare that to other means to murder people in other places that uh, have, uh, have banned guns and what their murder rates look like. And at the end of that, somebody should change their mind. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, in theory. I'm actually yeah. on a path
1: of that exact question. Are you? In regards to uh, gun ownership. Okay. So I have a friend who is quite uh, libertarian, but is, I would also say is probably would be a, could could be defined as a rationalist. He may not use that term for himself. And we had a three-hour discussion about gun ownership and gun rights after Las Vegas. And it was mostly me asking him questions just because that is not a headspace I'm in. And I don't really understand a lot of the common pro-gun arguments. And I was just really, I was interested what he had to say because I'm quite anti-gun. Yeah. and he, you know, has his kind of research and what he believes, and it was really well-reasoned and really well-argued. Is he in the Denver area? Uh, he No, he is in uh, blah, San Antonio texas he's in somewhere in texas although i'm sure we could find plenty of people in the denver area that sure. also hold that oh know. i'm sure you can find people everywhere just this yeah. is this is a guy who is extraordinarily well read and smart and, and thinks, able to convey it in a able, able to convey it in a conversation and there were you know some fundamental things that i think we did come to that i just simply just couldn't wrap my head around in terms of he firmly believes that it's good to have guns in case of government take over something and i don't really know if i agree with that but uh, it it really has spurred me to start really critically thinking about some of these issues like what steven just said about well there's lots of way to kill lots of ways to kill people and i have a lot of research that i'm i'm planning on doing uh to kind of really confront my own belief about it because i kind of haven't dude that's awesome if you like modify your beliefs in any significant way or even
2: if you do a lot of research and don't modify your beliefs would you Mm. be willing to come back and talk to us about it yes i
1: would fuck yeah hell yes I would, I would, I would love to do that. That sounds awesome. Uh, what else was it? Was there just net neutrality left over?
2: Yes. And since we're at about an hour and 30, it's probably a good time to switch over to net neutrality. Unless we want to talk about utilitarianism at all. Or if you, you remember any other things that you were like these these guys are fucking crazy. I I
1: uh, for I, I again should should have been keeping notes. Right. Because. <laughs> but you didn't know then... that we were going to rope you in after after. No, because. Has I, it been a
2: year now that you've been
1: editing? Uh, since you close. Okay. Close to uh, maybe we'll call it nine months. I think okay. I can find out. I can easily look it up. No. We did an episode that dove into different
0: ethical systems. Uh, back before you started editing, I forget what it was called, but. Uh, any questions you have about utilitarianism might be, might be, uh, uh, addressed there just like about what the system talks about. Um, at least I tried.
2: I recently read a really cool, I think it was a blog post by, uh, Ozzy. Oh no maybe it was a Tumblr post by Unit of Caring. Anyways, um about the the four ethical schools based off Hufflepuff ha- based off of uh, Hogwarts houses <laughs> and uh the question for if you're a Ravenclaw is does normative thinking on ethics and ethical theories have anything at all to do with uh how you should act in real life? And if the answer was yes, the the prognosis was congratulations you're in house Huffle- you're in house Ravenclaw. And I was like what? Is that not 100% of humanity? Does not everyone think that actually looking at an ethical system and judging it has some implications as to what your ethics should be? And apparently no. That was one thing that I thought was true of all humans, which is apparently not true of all humans, because a lot of people are not House Ravenclaw in, in terms of eth- ethical systems. Hmm. It was one of those bizarre things that opened my mind. I'm like, there's some people that really just don't care about that sort of
1: calculation, and apparently there there is. We might uh, be in a bit of a self-created bubble with yeah. our own house, as it were.
2: I mean, yes, but just that it, it it's like those people who are colorblind and don't realize that they are colorblind until they're much older. Or apparently, this was a really neat thing, person who had no sense of smell didn't realize that there is a thing like a sense of smell until their mid-20s. They always thought people were being like, I mean, they would literally hold their nose and go pew when someone pulled out stinky socks. But just because they thought that was a thing people did, like That's a hilarious. custom or a ritual, you know? And whenever someone says, ooh, that rose smells really good, they thought it was a metaphorical thing, you know, to imply how pretty it is and how well, how nice it made them feel. <laughs> and, yeah, so th- this was one of those things where I was like, oh, I just did not know that some people didn't think about this sort of thing and think
0: that it was very important. Hmm. Mm. I mean, if, if we were to run with the idea that we're missing out on something analogous to smell or seeing colors how would we ever be aware of that through introspection, right? <laughs> right. So that sounds like a rather tall problem.
2: Let me really quickly read what the actual, I looked up what the actual question is. Uh, the infallible single question test for identifying Ravenclaw primaries is, is normative ethics boring and or completely disconnected from any actual moral reasoning you do in your everyday life? And if your answer is no, welcome to Team Ravenclaw. Who does, who thinks that, normative ethics and moral reasoning is completely disconnected from from
0: I would say people who don't know what normative ethics is okay or people who don't care about it but that I mean if you explain it to them
2: then they would still say no that's disconnected to what I
0: do when I do morality Yeah, I don't understand the question either then either uh, what would if you define normative ethics what would you say if I said I don't understand the question
2: the thinking of how things should be and actually having a formal system for ethics that applies universally and preferably in all cases when possible,
0: but like a a systemized ethics. And people will say, I agree that that's a thing, but that doesn't relate to how I actually conduct my good life. Yes. Pausing to think. So much so that the people who don't say that are Ravenclaw. (laughs) So you could say, yes, that's all fun, hoity-toity conversation that people like Peter Singer have, but at the end of the day, we're going to just do whatever we want, right? Professor Quirrell might be a good example
2: yeah professor Quirrell would um probably be a slytherin primary based on the post that i'm going to i guess that have to link arp- now that seems appropriate yeah right yeah but no they, they have other reasons like gryffindors do the right thing because it is right because their emotions tell them it is right okay as opposed to because some stupid utilitarian calculation that you did says that it's right and which you just the utilitarians? know if things the ravenclaws are right. or the
0: hufflepuffs the with well, the ravenclaws would be utilitarians well i could see them also being kantians you know if they have their right. if they have their yes. ethical precepts it, it
2: it doesn't have to be utilitarian necessarily but it has to be something like a a, a deontological um um imperative imperative sure. right, right right some some sort of actual formal system that thinks about these things
0: huh that's weird yeah cuz what, what 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 criteria are the gryffindors is using to say this is
2: the emotions that have been instilled in them about rightness and wrongness by their culture i would
0: assume so then, like they, are like, yeah, okay, cool. On paper, uh, saving ten people over one looks great, but at the end of the day, I'm going to save one because it's more heroic. Or sure, right? Because it is the right thing to do. Like scoff.
2: <laughs> like they would say, on paper, it may be better to kill ten to kill one person, harvest his organs to save ten, but that is an evil thing to do, so I won't. Whereas, you know, the the Ravenclaw, the utilitarian, has to come up with reasons why it's actually worse to kill the one person to save ten within their system of ethics. Be like, well, you shouldn't actually do that because it leads to these other bad effects. Like, people would no longer go to the
0: doctor ever. Right. And that's actually my biggest, as long as we're on the point, uh, my biggest annoyance with anti-utilitarianism arguments is that people are like, yeah, but look at how bad things would actually be. Well, then you're not actually defending utilitarian position, Right. If, like, if the idea, like, oh, yeah, but society would fall apart if this, well, then that's not what utilitarian would advocate. Right. Utilitarian-
2: right? Utilitarianism likes society to keep going. Agreed. <laughs> okay. So, I wanted to talk about net neutrality because it has been going around a lot in the social spheres that, uh, I, f- that I frequent. And I think with a very reflexive and almost, um, <laughs> this is going to betray my position, uh, a reflexive and tribalist, really, attitude where people take their position because it signals their loyalty to a group rather than due to the actual matter at hand.
0: Yeah, sure. They take their loyalty to the group of people who advocate for freedom. (laughs) Right. (laughs) So um, that is why I
2: wanted to talk about it. Okay. Because I had seen that a lot from basically everyone I know. Even uh, last episode when I said, we we should talk about this next time. And Stephen's like, what's there to talk about? Are you for or against
0: freedom? Basically. (laughs) I don't know if I came off quite that strong. Okay, I did not quite that, that strong. Um, and I, may, may, although I probably did say something just like that, and I maybe it was being somewhat—it wasn't just like that. But but the other the other thing that I thought was sort of futile about talking about it is that we're past the point where like the citizens can do anything because the yeah. board of private appointees is voting on this. But without... I would
2: still like my friends to not take positions based purely due to the color of the politics, and also to not be
0: really upset about the internet being destroyed if it isn't actually okay. So so well, I'm curious what you guys think about this and found out before I my spiel on it isn't I think as well researched as yours I'm curious what you have to say
2: well I mean your spiel on it is like basically the standard spiel including the the um John Oliver spiel and what I see all over Reddit and basically everywhere where there is an internet that I interact with and just so did you
0: want to quickly give the the standard yeah sure I think the standard spiel uh so net neutrality is the idea that when you open up your browser you can go to whatever website you want and your, your ISP, your internet service provider, can't say, oh, you know what, uh, Facebook is free, or excuse me, Facebook comes with your plan, but in order to go to uh, um, CNN.com or something, that's another $10 a month. So it's the idea that you get access to this utility, and uh, it, people who, who are pro-net neutrality uh, think of the internet, I think, rightly as a utility, in that your ISP shouldn't be allowed to dictate... To charge you differently based on what you're doing with it or um, where you want to go. Uh, an, anal- an analogy might be like your electric company charges you per kilowatt hour. They don't charge you if you're running refrigerators or servers or power drills or whatever it is. They just they want they they're just charging you for the internet or for the electricity.
1: Actually, they kind of do because if you choose to run more power consuming things then you will pay more money.
0: You're paying per kilowatt hour, but like it doesn't they, they they're not you're not paying because of uh what you're doing with that electricity. You're just paying for the electricity. Okay, okay. Um so yeah, I think I think and that's the fair way that the internet works now. Like you pay often with data caps or something, right? Um so yeah, you can't be using a terawatt or a, a, a terabyte a day transferring data because they're you know, that that's clogging up their infrastructure or the infrastructure, not theirs. That's kind of important. But The idea that they can't dictate what you're doing um, or what you have access to without, you know, (laughs) the other way to think about it, if you're online at all on some circles, you know, there was this big explosion over uh, EA, they put out Star Wars Battlefront Mm -hmm. 2, this new video game that would take some, what, 2100 hours to unlock all the characters organically using their in-game gambling system that you get for, uh, you earn uh, credits to gamble with in-game to try and unlock characters like Darth Vader. So, as opposed to just unlocking different lightsaber colors or cosmetic things, you're unlocking, like, key players with either having to spend many hundreds of hours of in-game time, or you can just spend, micro- you can spend money on microtransactions and spend some many hundreds of dollars, I can't remember the numbers, but so some hundreds of dollars to unlock everybody if you wanted, maybe more. Mm-hmm. So, uh, people who are worried about net neutrality going away are kind of worried about that's how the internet could work out. Um, you know, if you enjoy uh browsing Reddit or Facebook or getting your news from whatever news source you like, uh it could be that if your ISP, safe like Comcast what for whatever reason decides, you know what, Fox News and uh Breitbart and uh what's that other insane news channel? Infowars, Infowars, all come with a standard package of forty bucks a month. If you want access to um uh partisan news sources <laughs> um or no no, I mean like uh I just just throwing this out there as an example. Um, you know, that's gonna be an additional sixty bucks a month or two dollars for every minute you spend on the page. Like the idea that they could have those sorts of decisions and have that be under their control is kind of horrifying. And part of the other thing another crux of this example is that there is a basic monopoly on internet service providers. It's true that there in many places there are competitors, but and I can't remember the numbers and I should have looked these up, but in many parts of the country you have one service provider if you want more than like 5 megs a second
2: can you define many
0: two um maybe three
2: no 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 can you define many parts of the country oh i think i i can't without
1: probably colorado is wrong. one colorado's definitely well i mean you can no, have you have at least two options here that's what he meant by two um, yeah I, oh, no, 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 only I, one of them is actually a high is can, can be considered a proper high speed company and that's comcast the other CenturyLink. one century link it's high speed dsl but it's not it's it's not nearly as robust they're getting to places with fiber and stuff too. So like, there are competitors emerging, but
0: I can't remember what it is. I want to say the number seventy percent is in my head somewhere where they. I think were... it's between seventy and seventy-five percent people yeah. that have at least two. Well, I think it was, I thought it was seventy that had access to one good internet service provider. I mean good
2: again depends on how you define it but i was 70 to 75 percent of people that had access to two or more providers that provided at least 10 megabits per second
0: okay so 10 might be i you mean it's a, a little shape. on the slow side it but is. it's enough for so most people we might say being able to stream netflix could be like the baseline not everyone needs you know instant pings for online gaming or something um but if your internet can't can't stream netflix and h in high quality that's not like the most important thing you can do with the internet but it might be a good baseline as to whether or not it's a good plan right i find it
2: very interesting that you brought up netflix specifically
0: i meant just for online streaming maybe uh, i, could... I
2: no, no no i i understand
0: i i there is a reason i find that very interesting that i will get into later well th- i guess the last point i'll make is that it's hard for uh it's basically just i think more or less ubiquitous that utilities with a physical infrastructure more or less always monopolize um or essentially monopolize like if your water sucks, you don't have six other water companies you can ask to say, I'm going to go to them instead if you guys don't up your game, right? Mm-hmm. It's not like there are six different water hoses connecting to your house that you can pay to use one of them. So that's sort of how the internet works. Uh, and much of that was put together with taxpayer money as well, which is another argument for it being uh, staying public and, and uh, neutral. That's, that's that's the quick version of the central argument, I think.
1: I'm curious as to what the argument against that is.
2: The argument against that is that that is basically... The net neutrality debate is basically large corporations fighting with each other base um, over who has to pay what uh, in order to deliver content to us. And getting the government involved in that uh, to support their side. And that this, what you have been told, is basically a load of horseshit. That... It is theoretically possible, just like it is theoretically possible that I could create a nuclear bomb in my backyard, but it's not actually going to happen. And and before you ask, yes, it is theoretically
0: possible for me to create a nuclear bomb in my backyard. Well, I think the comeback to that might be that making it legally, legally barring you from doing so is still a good idea, even if it's really hard, right? Or really unlikely. Yes,
2: but that is not what the so-called net neutrality does. And whoever branded it net neutrality was a fucking genius <laughs> because it is it is a great name. But basically what it is, is regulation of the internet by the government. And first of all, I am in general against the government being a highly regulatory thing i think they have screwed the pooch hardcore in most things they try to regulate the fda kills a lot more people than it saves and it made the war on drugs possible which has fucked much of our society um it it, there is there's so many examples of regulation being awful that I distrust it inherently, and I think even more so in the fast-moving, quick-changing tech sector, which governments cannot keep up with. But to um, give the quick recap about what actually uh, the issue comes down to is when people say net neutrality, they kind of assume they, they, they have the vision of the internet as it was back in the late 90s and early 2000s still, where there was just like a central net and anyone could connect to the net and get data from anyone else on the net, right? And that, it, like, so you would think that Netflix has their servers where they have all their movies, and they connect to the net to make them available to people, and your computer connects to the net, and you can go wherever you want on the net, and if you want to, you go to Netflix, and you get their movie streamed to your computer over the internet, everything's great. Um, and at some point, they have to go through your ISP, obviously, because your internet service provider is the company that provides the internet to your house, um, which is not actually how it works anymore, due to the fact that there has been much concentration of, of back in the 90s and 2000s like the, everyone was on the internet there were lots of small things it was like mom and pop wild west there was no mega corporations yet now on the internet half of all i think it was uh, either 50 or 60% of all internet traffic comes from 30 entities uh google netflix apple amazon amazon yeah yeah, yeah. facebook facebook yes uh and those companies have a problem with getting all their content to their various people that want to use it fast enough so they no longer connect to the internet and then route it to your house they go to your internet service providers and set direct pipelines from their computers to the internet service providers so you don't have to go through the you know the wider net itself you just get it directly from your isp in some cases and the term here is peering they actually take their computers and install them in your isps building so that you can get directly The shortest path possible. uh, And the ISP charges them for this. Uh, Well, sometimes. At first they didn't because it was a wonderful idea on everyone's behalf. It reduced the amount of net traffic out there to have... uh, And and this is the reason, like, Netflix... There's not just one Netflix server with their movies on it. They have, in various ISPs across the country, their computers uh, set up in in the same building, connected to the ISP computers. So you get it directly from there. Netflix when it was getting really big, had a problem with one of their uh, providers, I believe it was Cogent, who sold them, they could give them all this bandwidth, and it turned out they couldn't give them all that bandwidth. And so they started prioritizing who got what data, and some data was more important. So during high uh, high traffic peak times, Netflix data was throttled back. Netflix was not very happy about this at all. They went and put together peering agreements with Comcast and other ISPs, but Comcast wanted to charge them some money for this, as they charged everyone else. And Netflix was like, we're huge, give us a break. And Comcast said, no, we 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 charge everyone for this. And Netflix said, oh yeah? And then the net neutrality debate began, uh, where they said, you know what? This is an issue of free access to the internet. Comcast is preventing us from having free access to the internet. This should not be legal. And, <laughs> The the really fun part is after they won that debate in 2014 and had the net neutrality quote unquote rules passed that made it illegal for Comcast to charge them for this, they promptly dropped out of the net neutrality debate and they are not doing anything about it nowadays because fuck they got theirs. What do they care now? Uh, but it's not it's not about getting to your house and restricting what website sites you can and can't see. It's about corporations charging each other for large data services. And the reason it's important was I grew up back in the AOL days where there was not that much infrastructure and you actually did pay by the minute to connect to the internet because there just wasn't enough ways to get to the internet for everyone to be on it all of the time. And then the uh, 2000, early 2000s, late 90s happened. Huge investment bubble, greatly overbuilt uh, the internet um, backbone. So there was more bandwidth than anyone knew what to do with and we just didn't have to bother with that sort of thing anymore everyone could get on all the time and lately we've started hitting up those limits again and now people do have to throttle traffic and decide that some data might be more important than other data and they do this actually right now already uh text data generally gets lower priority over things like video streaming and music because those things are much more sensitive to interruptions whereas text data you can wait an extra three to four seconds to get your email Um, So there is already that sort of discrimination going on, and now there needs to be some sort of way to fund the expansion of the infrastructure, and charging the people who use more data, like Netflix, like Amazon, more for that is probably a logical way of doing it. And the reason I dislike the term net neutrality, quote unquote, is because when the internet first came to be, there was basically no restrictions or regulations on it at all. And Everyone is like, things are going to become horrible. The various ISPs will, will start, you know, you have to pay extra if you want to go to non-Fox websites if your ISP is in bed with Fox. But that never happened before um, the regulations that were in place in 2015. And everything worked fine before because generally private enterprise doesn't want to piss off its customers like that. People would probably riot. They, they um, Riot is a bad term. But uh, that is a way for ISPs to piss off their customers, and the thing that usually happens when that sort of thing happens is people switch carriers to someone else. And you say that there aren't a lot of options for a lot of people, but most people have at least two options, some that aren't great, but... There is the option out there. More importantly, there's more and more options being provided. Uh, Fiber is being laid down in lots of municipal districts. Google is putting their own fiber programs in place. Wireless is becoming much more reliable to the point where sometimes I go on my cell network rather than my home Wi-Fi because it is more reliable at times. And that is the – that having the government regulate the internet more makes it harder for newcomers to get in. It stifles competition. New ISPs don't show up. As much. And so it locks the monopoly down for the people that are already there, like the Comcasts. And what we want is more providers, more competition, so that if they do start pulling shenanigans like that, we can jump ship to other people. I mean, that's how the internet worked before 2015 when these net neutrality regulations were put into place. The FTC enforced some transparency rules, and aside from that, it was the wild west, and no one did do that to people. You didn't have your connections throttled.
0: So you clearly know more about this than I do, which, well, is, which makes it hard for me to, uh, like we talked about with that example from the guy Burning Man, the the climate science guy. Yeah, I'm not. I don't have the the ammunition to to challenge everything that you said. Right. Um, but, you know, that just shows that I didn't do enough homework. I think what we really need to do is talk to Chase. Uh, <laughs> I trust that Chase knows the right answer here. Chase probably has but, some opinions. Um, I mean, so, like, there's a handful of things. Uh, like, there was a big hubbub that I think 80% of all net neutrality comments were sent by bots. Mm-hmm. And 95% of the actual humans who, who wrote in about it were in favor of net neutrality. Okay. So that shows that the overwhelming majority of people who actually are behind this and not the, the systematized uh, distortion of the data um aren't gonna get what they want
2: yes but i was also in favor of net neutrality after i saw the john oliver piece and it was only in the last few weeks when some people pointed out look this is just corporations fighting each other over who gets to pay who and getting the government involved it has nothing to do with my access that i was like well that sucks i I have bought into the propaganda really and that's when i started reading up on it but i wonder if you bought into new propaganda I, I'm I know assuming you probably i know that did, is it's possible homework yeah but... i i did quite a fair bit of homework and it's possible that i have bought into new propaganda but it seems less likely there's i mean i saw just this morning even tyler cohen came out against the 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 net neutrality thing where he said this is probably bad in the long run for the internet to have more government regulation
0: well so i i agree that like government regulation is hard to defend right and that's why i people who like small government and staying out of their business you know have a point because mm-hmm. uh, how do you get some big monolith to like especially a big monolith full of 70 year olds who you know don't know how or use the same password for everything on their phone or something right like these aren't the people you want making the calls on technology breakthroughs but i guess the comeback that i might think of would be the the whole net neutrality thing for however you want to brand it does make it illegal for say comcast to uh like if you wanted to start a youtube competitor because people don't like YouTube for lots of reasons that make sense. Um, but YouTube gives Comcast, I don't know, a million dollars a month. Not That's more than that, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you can't do that if you're trying to build this startup, and they're just not going to connect to your service, or they're going to extremely throttle it, because well, they, get to, they get to decide the priorities.
2: Yeah, but that's already the case. YouTube is part of Google. They're one of the people that put their servers in Comcast buildings, so you get faster. I mean, have you ever wondered why it is that... If your connection is bad and you're not watching and you can't stream the Daily Show very well, you can go over to Netflix and watch their higher-res stuff that streams just fine. It's because Netflix has their servers in the, right there in Comcast and and Comedy Central doesn't. And yeah, there are places like Vimeo or Daily Motion that are kind of YouTube competitors, and they are slower because YouTube has their servers in Comcast, and the current regulations does don't change that.
0: So where do people like John Oliver and the people who buy into the, the version that he sells... Um, why are they, is this just seriously like a, a wait like a distraction that people made this like a fake debate to keep people busy or like, well, it's or do, they because, actually care, do they care about something that's actually real? I mean,
2: they care about something that they think is real, but there are very good PR people on now on both sides, originally just on Netflix's side when they said, fuck you to Comcast and took it to the public who, uh, are good at swaying people that this is the way things are and that they will be harmed if the government doesn't come in and you know support netflix's side of the argument hmm
0: i'm out of talking points i guess (laughs) i'll I'll have to i think it'd be fun to talk with chase about this yeah and and i I hope that
2: people don't just entirely believe me and look into it themselves but i want to at least get the view out there that hey this thing might be complete bullshit and don't just don't just believe that it is for a neutral internet it's actually about corporations will you send me the stuff you read yeah I'll link it on the um on
0: our, dot uh, com as well. Cool. That sounds good. Did you have anything to add? Where are you on this? I,
1: I don't I don't have enough uh, knowledge, or opinion to really to really say. It does it. Do, I I do agree with Anuasha's argument that it is against the incentive of an ISP to charge people for things. I would say the, the only scenario in which that could be a case if there was some kind of a race to the bottom in terms of pricing where comcast says if you only really want to like have facebook and like a couple other things we'll only charge you nine bucks a month uh but of course we sell our full bundle which doesn't has restrictions for whatever you know whatever absurd price they charge and you you could conceivably have a, a price war between competitors but that only works if you have a diverse marketplace of competitors which we don't have in most communities right where two is not enough you would need new york city has a quite a few options uh uh, I I had Verizon FiOS for a while. Oh my god, that was really nice. Oh really? Verizon FiOS was great. So, uh, but I mean, for you know, example in Colorado, Comcast has gotten much better in the past six seven years. And I they... think
2: it's very much due to CenturyLink coming in and <clears throat> being a decent competitor. They they're not as good as Comcast, but they're also cheaper.
1: Yeah, they're 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 cheaper. Yeah. Um, my grandmother has CenturyLink and it's fine.
2: I got CenturyLink. It works for me. Yeah,
1: it's 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 fine. And, and Comcast also just became the butt of the jokes of every <laughs> everyone in, in many places because it's like we, we hate you. Yeah. We desperately hate you because you are the worst ISP in the world. But we don't have a choice. Right. So that that is a scenario in which I, I see kind of the kind of pricing tiers that people uh, are kind of raising. I think yeah. I think that is a a false fear. Uh, Because like you said, ISPs are incentivized to provide good access to people.
2: And I'm also not necessarily against that. My phone plan costs me about $12 a month because I only have 500 megabytes of, of cell data a month. That's all I ever use. And I was like, I don't want to pay $80 a month for unlimited cell when I don't use any of it. All I ever use my phone for is texting and occasionally calling. Mm -hmm. and oh and the gps constantly doing that because god that thing is useful yes and i'll check my email on it every now and then but all of those are not data intensive things i can get by with twelve dollars a month for 500 megabytes a month and i'm very happy to do that if people if there's some people out there who's like look the only thing i use the internet for is facebook can i just get facebook for five bucks a month why the hell not
0: it's hard for me to argue with that i feel like it opens the door to being slippery slope but um and i think that's that's I, that's still where I imagine people would draw contention is saying, look, yeah, that sounds fine, but it's, it (laughs) slippery slope arguments are where you say, if you grant this, it opens the door for a whole bunch of bad things. Mm -hmm. And it's a fallacy to say, if you grant this thing, all these bad things will happen. Right. Like Um, if you allow men to marry
2: other men, then all of a sudden, where does it stop? Sure.
0: But just because it's a fallacy to say it will cause this or whatever, it doesn't mean that slippery slopes aren't real. Mm -hmm. Right um i'm trying to find how much data i used last month and i think it was like 13 gigs Jesus Christ, dude. i use a lot of stuff but i just rolled over on the first so i don't have i
1: can't find my previous months i use about between two and five a month, but i pay all 80 bucks a month to Verizon for it yeah and i could i could certainly get a much lower cost plan if i wanted to
2: yeah i mean every now and then i'm like oh i can't watch youtube out and about but then i'm like
1: Ah, oh, I saved sixty dollars. Hmm. So <laughs> I just don't. I don't think it's necessary for one to be able to watch YouTube, um, uh, walking around. I don't. That's not necessary. Yeah. The only thing it's necessary for is, oh, look at this funny cat video that I'm just going to show my friend on the sidewalk. Isn't? You don't need to do that.
2: That's Although fine. I do appreciate that Stephen does have that data plan because every now and then he'll show me cool things on YouTube on his phone. <laughs> yeah. That's, yeah, that's, that's like, great. Thank you. That is that's, that is a cool service great. you so, provided me. So
1: basically, you're a mooch.
2: In some cases, <laughs> he mooches <laughs> off my good looks and in- Interestingness. i'm currently on your wi-fi so (laughs) (laughs) this works out but yeah all the all the net neutrality was basically implemented in 2015 there's been some various minor regulations going on since i think the mid-2000s but uh things were not this horrific hellscape that people paint them out to be before 2015 and so i don't think net neutrality is really that big a deal
0: see i found a list that i was trying to dig up that was, I don't know, something like 20 cases of where it was this hellscape, where people's stuff was being throttled and they were paying for stuff they couldn't get and that sort of thing. There
1: there and- were conflict of interests of ISPs who also provided a uh, phone service or other things like that. They mm-hmm. would basically completely block uh, VoIP services. Right. or things I do like remember that. Remember AT&T doing something like that? Quite a few companies would do things like like that because it's like, well, we all we sell we sell phone plans and we don't want people to use Skype because it's free. Right. So they have a they have a natural incentive to to, do, to 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 not do that.
2: Right. And I believe some sort of case was brought against them, right?
1: I I believe that in pretty much every every case where things like that happen that a regulator said, "No, you can't do that." Yeah. So government and regulation did a useful thing
2: it did every now and then it does i just don't think the current debate is about that so, so like the
1: much
0: eff and the aclu are all in the of all just bought into this propaganda machine i
2: are they in support of the current net neutrality rules
0: yes so far as i can tell okay according to net neutrality Bot on reddit they're one of the places that are linked to that you can give money to support net neutrality
2: oh well i i love the eff and i will continue to give them money every year but uh i i will look more into why they they are, I, I will read whatever statement they have put out as to why they are in support of these uh, of the 2015
1: net neutrality over what is being proposed right now. Hmm. I would say, getting speaking of the conflict of interest uh, problem, I would say Comcast actually would be a great example of someone who has a huge conflict of interest. In that, because they provide phone services mm-hmm. and they, they charge a lot for it, they also provide television bundles and charge yeah. a lot for them. Yeah, it is currently. Not in Comcast's interest to have um, all of this free TV online, Hulu, Netflix nonsense. Because that means that Conf- Comcast can't sell its TV packages. Yeah. It is in... Contr- so I, I agree, but it's also not in their interest to
2: throttle that sort of thing if there is a competitor that will charge the same amount or less and give someone access to all that stuff anyway
1: that is possible but in the cases what what seems to keep happening is that monopolies, regional monopolies do seem to keep cropping up
2: yeah and i think the i think the main argument about the current net neutrality rules is that it makes monopolies easier and more entrenched and if the the changes that are being proposed go through, it will make uh, make it easier for small ISPs to break in and provide some more competition.
1: And how exactly would a small ISP benefit under fewer rules than the ones that are currently in price? This part I was not able to understand because I'm not
2: an economist. I just read Tyler Cohen coming out against everyone else and um, and he gave you know various lists and reasons why he thinks that this would be better for the internet and the long-term encouraging competition. I was like... I generally trust Tyler Cohen. Mm. And how it, much money this did is... he get from the telecom industry? <laughs> right. Hmm. And this is in line with other things I've heard about how regulation tends to make starting up a new business hard. I've never heard of a regulation making it easier to start up uh, a new business. And so it fits with my priors as well. And therefore, I think that is
0: the case. I also have priors against like the current administration doing anything that benefits me. Right. So weigh those priors against <laughs> each other. So the F- the... EFF has a, has a thing here that says, net neutrality, the idea that all internet service providers should treat all data that travels over their networks fairly without improper discrimination in favor of, a, of particular apps, sites, or services, is a principle that must be upheld to protect the future of our open internet. It is a principle that's faced many threats over the years, such as ISPs, forging, forging packets to tamper with certain kinds of traffic, or slowing down, or even outright blocking protocols or applications. So the FF does seem to be in favor of what's called net neutrality.
2: Are they in favor of the 2015 regulations over the
0: current proposed ones? So this was written in 2017. So I can only assume so. I'm skimming this. Anyway, we'll check it out. Okay, cool. This will be fun. Maybe we can double crux this thing. Yeah, but that'd be fun. But I think since we're not economists and, and network designers, I don't know if we have the, the tools to do this quickly, but we can figure it
1: out.
2: Okay. Cool. Awesome. So yeah, that is the... the Two takes, hot takes on net neutrality. Do we have anything else? Nope. Okay, my brain is fried. Yeah, mine
0: too. Let's call it an episode. Sounds good to me.
2: Oh wait, we have to thank someone.
0: Oh yeah. First of all, personal thanks to our sound engineer Kyle Moore. Hey. So in all seriousness, every I don't know if you check out the subreddit or see some of the. No, I don't. In, but no. I should. It, especially once like shortly after you started and people weren't used to it, they were mm. like, everything sounds better now. Mm. And the fact that you know, like I said, I I do this uh, you know over the airwaves instead of over coffee because i like to disseminate these ideas mm. and I and i personally enjoy I, conversations I like this and there weren't enough podcasts like this so i was like fine i'll do one <laughs> um so uh making it palatable for people's eardrums is very important part of that recipe so thank you for making that happen
1: my my Thank my well welcome thanks <laughs> You're gonna say my pleasure, but you did not want to lie to us. I understand. <laughs> no, no. Yeah. My thousand
2: years of torture.
1: <laughs>
2: okay, uh, did you want to, or should I, this time? oh go ahead. Okay, we can take turns. All right. Uh, this week, we would like to thank Beth Smith, a supporter on Patreon, for helping to make this possible and bring it to all of you guys. Thank you, Beth. Thanks, Beth. Okay, that's it for me too. Uh, we'll do actual listener feedback from the forums and stuff like that. Sounds good. Cool. Great. Bye
1: bye.